All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rock. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my DJ Nubis and DJ Neko here with you in the Hordes of Chaos episode 153 on the Metal Radio podcast and uh, opening up there was some uh, Excarium with Pilgrimage from Darkness on Amorphous cover one of my favorite t- tunes it was there. good yeah I enjoyed it very much so so, uh, so 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 I'm wearing my Cannibal Corpse like I think this is like a soccer shirt. You know how I love these, where they have like the baseball stri- tees, yeah, or baseball tees, football tees, soccer tees, soccer tees. So, hey. I don't know why I um, you know, and I'm really glad that bands are going back to that like baseball tee look because that was very 70s. They did that like lots of bands did that back in the 70s, and my new favorite one is the Iron Maiden one. I wore that skeleton witch one until like the white turned gray. Because it was, remember it was black and so I've saved a bunch of older shirts and you gave me some older shirts that don't quite fit you or they're just like worn out and eventually what's going to happen is I'm going to either, I'm going to see how many we have but I'm going to do t-shirt quilts and there's companies and local people that do it um, where I'll probably do like a metal t-shirt quilt. And then do like maybe a because we have a lot of old Broncos. Then everybody's gonna be like, "You're gonna make me one, right?" Well, we didn't. We're not gonna make it. I I don't know how to quilt. I'm gonna. What you basically do is you pick out your T-shirts, you cut out the T-shirts into. They'll they'll tell you like cut out what you want, and then they um, they will put it together and then do like the quilting and put like the little things in it. So I think it's pretty badass. I um, but again, I just have bags of T-shirts right now, just waiting to be. And it, it sucks because, like, you and I have so many T-shirts, and, again, there's only so many T-shirts you can wear in a lifetime, and when you have a couple of favorites that you wear until they're, like, past their life expectancy, and then it's like, oh, my God, I, you know, you can't buy it again because you got it at a concert or you got it, you know, at a festival. So, so for me, 
hopefully we can make them have everlasting life as a blankie. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, true. You made some pillows one time out of shirts and stuff like that, so it works. Mm -hmm. uh, in this episode, okay. got a few different topics to get to. Obviously, we got back to our retro DVD movie vault. We took a break last week, mm -hmm. I think, or the week before, because I know we did Falling Down. No, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, so we are back on track. We're probably back on schedule, yeah. Uh, we're taking a break from our action tier rankings to do a rom-com one uh, for Neko. It's a girl-com. Not all of It them, is a girl-com. I we, mean, not we, all of them are rom-coms, right. but they're, they're funny ones, there's sad ones, there's silly ones, and in between, and it was interesting to discover that Anubis, these are movies that are literally in the retro DVD vault in our house. Not all of them. Not all of them, but there's a good chunk of them where he's like, I've never seen this, and I'm like, it's literally in the vault and i think next week is my my turn after because this week was your turn i'm gonna pick one and he's like i've heard of this movie and i've seen like clips and stuff and i've seen you watch it before but i've never sat down and watched it so um hopefully i can pick out a couple and um well over time you've shown me a handful of these movies and i some of them i actually really like and when i do my tier you'll see yeah because there are some that end up in the top like these aren't movies i'm going to spend a lot of time watching like a lot of time but but some of them if are I had very to be, good movies right like if I had, they're funny and you know good acting and everything else so we'll, we'll take a break and do this one for her and then we'll get back to our action stuff and you have to go back to the action one that i sent you um because there was like a list of five movies that you think that i just kind of put in my average because i hadn't seen them and he's like you really would enjoy some of them and i want to see them but we have to either find them streaming somewhere or order them uh, also, I just noticed when I was talking with uh, Derek from Flix Nexus, he's one of the guys we're going to interview him coming up. I thought, I thought it was a Wednesday. It, the 5th of February is actually a Saturday, so i got to verify with him that's still okay to do that. Um, I was looking at this month. You were looking at... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'll, I will be home next Saturday. I probably will be leaving around the 15th. So what is, today is the 29th? Uh-huh. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. so it's Saturday. Again, I'm looking at January. So, like, if you hit so, down, if you hit the little yeah, down there. So, okay, so Derek is on the 5th. Mm-hmm. And you're leaving when? Probably the 15th of February, unless something changes. Like, okay. I, I know they're working right now, and there have been a few snafus. Because I, I was supposed to be leaving now, basically. Well, well, like I said, I want to try to get at least one or two more of these interviews done, so I think I'm going to try to contact Aaron as well, because I know, watching him earlier, I really want to get him before he head out. I know there's a few more we want to do. We'll have to wait for those when you get back. But uh, Derek, the guy in the plans, just got to verify the date for and make sure it's okay still. Um, which it should be because it's a weekend, so it should be fine unless he's got something else going on. But. Yeah, it looks like I'm going to probably be leaving around the 15th of February to get to the port because it's in the Maldives, so it's like a 24-hour flight. So if I leave the 15th here, it's already the 16th there, fly over, I'll get there by the 17th of um, February, and then um, I'll probably be home around May 9th. So that's a nice three-month mm -hmm. jobber I'm okay with that I'm just a I I'm out of out of practice with being gone for so long <laughs> if that makes any sense uh 
got some great new music coming your way. Uh, good stuff in a rock block this week, as well as Neko's pick. Mm-hmm. Request from Kevin Tarrant. Mm-hmm. And uh, much more. So we're going to kick off our first block of music here. Got some stuff from Music Records and Against PR in here. And this one from Against PR is kicking it off. It's from Chemicide. It's called Lunar Eternity. Eternity. <laughs> <laughs>
going nowhere. We're moving right next door to you. Body count, motherfucker. for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. 
Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent ya. La 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 Luke Luke I am your father La 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 Aww, I've interrupted happy time Alright, we're back We're back talk a little bit about some uh, interesting, I found an article regarding Antarctica and some of the sad tales of death that have happened there because not too many people talk about that place since other than the movie The Thing, we don't think we really attribute Transformers. Really? Yeah, remember that's where Megatron was. Uh, And then uh, Sam Witwicky's great uncle. Yeah, yeah. So, but what's interesting about Antarctica is you know it's cold it's cold number one That's real cold we're talking like negative 130 fahrenheit cold with 200 mile an hour winds what what is besides that <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's like barren you know but there's still animals that live and thrive there you know penguins and seal Norwales, polar bears so this is why scientists um like to study it and it's always been like this really crazy expedition all the time there's always scientists down there i actually think my company a couple of years ago did a cable and because the um there's so few people there and they can actually get internet now without having to use like satellite internet and when you're at the poles it's very hard to use because you remember how far north i was at one point i was up by alaska when I was up there, it's hard when you're far north and far south to really get the satellite. When you're, but like when I was in Dominican Republic, you're right by the equator. That's where most of the satellites around the world are. Mm-hmm. So, what I understand, because I've never been there myself, and um, some of the other sailors that I've worked with have, and there's like a huge place that you can there's a fucking starbucks in there so they've got like their whole little um i don't call it like a shopping mall but there's like a gift shop now it's it's more of like because there are people who have to go there there are sailors and ships and wait a minute they have like a a tourist attraction yes in antarctica (laughs) so (laughs) i was talking um to one of my assistants on my last job so like two years ago he was saying that he had been to Antarctica and there there's literally there's like a Starbucks there's food it's almost like a mini shopping mall that for when people who come into port they have like a little something that they can do but he's like it is unbelievably insane when you think cold you know it's it's fucking crazy like you need full gear gloves hat blanket wrapped around you when you're leaving the ship to get to 
that um like the port there mm-hmm. um but that it's also very fascinating now that you know we every year the technology in life just gets more advanced so now that you know you know, you've got scientists down there exploring. They have the internet capabilities. They're, you know, before, like we were seeing, they had, like, a radio, and they would radio in the thing. And there was, like, you might get somebody, you might not. There was just somebody who came regularly, like, once a week to, like, drop things check off. It, yeah. That's all you got. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like, back, you know, over the years, one of the things this article points out is you've got really no real records of people that have died there because a lot of times it was like either like in one case the Chilean bones from the 1800s like apparently uh, bones of a woman who was uh, indigenous to southern Chile which is like 620 miles away like they don't know how really or why she ended up in Antarctica but uh, they figured maybe she was I don't know, they, I guess a canoe maybe they, that she tried to use to get over there, but I, who knows if she just lost She might have lost her way, because, right. you know, Chile's so far... Plus, you're thinking maybe the currents may have taken her mm-hmm. in that direction or whatever, but, you know, and then there's, like, other where people... Uh, one guy said he was there with a friend tagging birds, and his friend fell from one of the little cliffs and dropped, like, 20 stories or whatever. And they're saying you can't even it's like more dangerous to try to recover the bodies than it is to just leave them there. And then they just kind of like disappear. Exactly. So there's a lot of people that you know they can't even find the body so like you're kind of like you you want to grieve but then like there's nothing really to grieve with. Mm -hmm. You know so it's like you got these (laughs) I hate kind of making kind of joke but these fake tombstones because there's no body there. It's just Mm -hmm. landmarks really. Uh to let you know that someone actually disappeared there but they just seem to have like a lot of different uh examples of people who have disappeared there march 29 1912 scott's uh south pole expedition crew had some guys that uh were killed there and whether I, i don't know if they really said it was from the cold or just um you know other reasons why usually it's due to the, how cold it is mm-hmm. and whether or not they can sustain like and especially the further back you go like they didn't we like technology now allows you to kind of as you say we have communication better. now there's more yeah there is actual communication and down there's there probably better resources to heat yourself mm-hmm. um you know even for those who are indigenous to some of the areas like eskimos and stuff you know i don't think there's any indigenous humans there i think there we, may, well there may not outside of like the the scientists yeah. yeah there's like substations down there they're not indigenous though i think it no. only was animals hold on i have to look up the name of this island it's off of the southern tip of south america south american island super south but yeah it has a, a few different uh examples of just people that have gone missing and whatnot and it's kind of interesting because you don't really think about it too much you know we obviously people die every day in different parts of the world for different reasons but uh when it comes to a place that's not that inhabited and that no one really talks about or thinks about it's kind of interesting to have all these stories that you one don't have a whole lot of Mm -hmm. record of and two just never really think about uh, 
Because as, you know, Neko just said, like, you know, you've got all these scientists who have little substations there, and they're, throughout the year, they're constantly swapping them out with other crews, and they're continuing to study the wildlife and, you know, polar ice caps and stuff. Here it is. The Isles Crozet. It's off of South America. It's, like, between South, or excuse me, Africa and Antarctica. And it's still not quite as far south as Antarctica, but we also did a cable for them, for scientists. And those cables are not like the ones that we have coming to North America where you need to be able to carry so much like for, for data hubs and porn and you name it. These are smaller, like they're literally, cause you see this picture, it's literally just like penguins and seal that live on this small island and that the science, so. <clears throat> I like how two seals are just sitting there. They're just chilling. Staring at them. Mm -hmm. And then these, like, see how, I mean, this is here, and then there's down there, like, Antarctica. It's, um, it's close to Antarctica, but there's a lot of other smaller islands, too, where there's, like, really nobody who lives here. It just becomes more of, like a substation for science right they just people well i wonder how cold that is compared to antarctica itself like just because it is quite a ways from the actual it's far from the yeah, yeah but it's far from the equator still it's like thinking about like the french southern and antarctic lands are overseas territory of france um let's see if it'll give us like an average um temperature See, the, it's the population, 30. <laughs> In the summer, 110, because it's all just people going there to study it. It looks like, um, hold on, geography. They're tiny little islands that researchers go to to study the flora and fauna and the animals. And it's not telling me anything about the... Huh. Okay, hold on. However, there are many merchant marine fleet, okay, that go there because they're carrying people. Um, oh, there you go. Oh, no, that's uh, coordinates. Mm -hmm. I'd probably just Google temperature of whatever island. I can't believe they normally have, like... Yeah, you'd think Wikipedia would actually have that stated. That's so crazy. But I can't imagine it's as cold as Antarctica itself. Plus, there's probably not any real deaths that happen. Here we go. Let me just click on Crozet and see if it gives us a little bit more information on Crozet. Uh, they're a nature reserve. Um, eighteen people live there in the winter and thirty in the summer, which is hysterical. Uh, I know this is so interesting. Here it is. Okay. So, so the average high is ten degrees Celsius. Wow. Which is fifty degrees Fahrenheit. And the average low is four degrees Celsius, which is forty-one degrees Fahrenheit, and that is. Now that normally wouldn't be bad, except for there probably is wind coming off the water, so that probably makes it colder than it feels. But we've, we've had fifty-degree weather here, and it feels really quite nice without any wind. But see, the hot, the hottest it's ever gotten ever 72. is seventy-two. Ever. That's kind of perfect, though. <laughs> really, I mean, because like seventy-degree weather is pretty good. I not mean, too hot, not too cold. But that's the record. Right. Average. And because of where they're located, I think their seasons are kind of opposite of ours. So, like, they're, this is where it's warmer. 
like January, February, that's March. That's funny because the summer months seem to go down. Because that they're that's what I was saying. They're opposite us, so it's kind of like Australia. Their summer is different than ours. So November, December, January, February, March, and April are warmer than May, June, July, August. August. Yeah. yeah, and I mean the average low in the colder months is about 33 degrees and the average high is about 42 degrees in the colder months and the average high in the warmer months is about 50 degrees and the average low is about 40 degrees so that's crozet Mm -hmm. and that's a little bit further north um but these are it's just very very interesting it is. Um, again, you know, it's because no one really talks much about Antarctica and the stuff that happens there. Or, you know, you'd think, well, it's not a lot going on there, so it's not that interesting. But when you think about over the years and the various people that ever landed there by mistake, I think even like in the Vikings episode uh, when I was watching the show, mm-hmm. uh, Bjorn, uh, Ragnar's son, he ends up more actually going on a trip to where he discovers I think Iceland or something like mm-hmm. that and uh, so it's not Antarctica but it's interesting because like that's the kind of shit that happened especially with Vikings and Northmen and stuff like that where they were constantly going across sea once they discovered there's other lands and sometimes the waters would take them to places they didn't want to be and I'm sure if you ended up in Antarctica or something like that at some point um, or some other type of travelers uh, that weren't Vikings or whatever because you know, Columbus, of course, mm-hmm. discovered America and everything else. So uh, we're sure that people like that woman from Chile ended up there by accident. And well, look, look at this in 1982. These men set out over the ice for an expedition to a nearby island off of Antarctica. The ice was firm, and they made it to Peterman Island. They could see the southern aura, like the aurora, but there's like a southern, I forgot what it's called. And it was usually bright, and it was strong enough to wipe out communications Excuse me. But after they reached shore, a large storm blew in and entirely destroyed the sea ice, so they were trapped on this island. And then, concern for the party was low because there was enough food where they were to last people about a month, and then in the next few days, the sea ice failed to reform because there were more storms. Then, there was, they, you know, there was no books or papers when they went to, like, try to find them. And the contact outside the world was limited to, like we were saying in the thing, scheduled radio transmissions to the base. So it had been two weeks, and as the batteries and the radios were getting weaker, the team grew restless, so they tried to to, um, start looking around. Um, Got diarrhea. mm Mm-hmm. Because some food in the hut was older, Uh. so it was making them sick. And the penguins, like, they're cute, but they were saying they were so, like, smelly that they actually made them feel sicker. But And they're not, like, penguins aren't going to, like, attack you, but they're, it's just like, think of being in a pig pen. Right. You know, like, right. it's just shitting There's everywhere. There's probably a lot there, yeah. So, um, they were seen through a telescope waving back to the main base. The batteries were running low. The sea ice reformed again, so they started trying to get away. And then the group didn't check in on the radio. Then another storm blew in. The men at the base climbed up to a high point where they could see the island. All the sea ice was gone again, taken out by the storm. 
these guys had done something, which we all did, go out on a little trip to the island, who had been on the main base at the time, and they were never seen again. Because they mm. just kept, the ice kept getting blown away, and then they had the food. The fire just up in the water mm-hmm. or something. Because they were probably, like, re- they were getting restless. And then after, like, people kept trying to contact them, they are like, they probably tried to get back, and then they realized the sea ice was not formed well enough, and they probably just fell into mm-hmm. the... So, even after an extensive search, they never found the bodies. So, it, it's really crazy, like you were saying, because for those who have experienced loss of colleagues, it's really hard to grieve because it's like, they literally disappear. So, there's that no tiny, trace. tiny chance, like, oh my god, what if they're still around? What if? Mm-hmm. So, but here's some of the monuments yeah. that they have put up, because they're just for explorers. They put their name and where, you know, what base they were, and it's it's really, really crazy. We, uh, like you were saying, we always kind of, we, when we saw the thing... Mm-hmm. And then even the thing remake, like I didn't. The thing remake had a good premise, you know what I mean? Because it wasn't a remake; it was more like prequel. a prequel. Yeah. And it was like, okay, what happened? Wasn't weren't they Norwegians? Yeah, yeah. that was they were portraying a Norwegian. Yeah, so it was like even though they spoke English. What happened to the Norwegians? And then when you see the thing, it's like the thing movie from the eighties. You're like, okay, they went to the Norwegian base and. You're like, there's a reason that these Norwegians were trying to kill that dog. And at the beginning, everybody always says the same thing. Don't shoot the dog. Well, it's not well, really yeah, a they dog. Say they're like, they, they, yeah, once they get the dog in the cage, they're like, oh, shit. Kill the dog. Kill the dog. Kill the dog. Set him on fire. But, yeah, the, the prequel is basically how the Norwegians came across the spacecraft and how they mm-hmm. actually unearthed it and everything else. That was crazy, too. Because it's like, let's just let it be. You know, there's a reason why it's in the ice. <laughs> yeah, let's just let it melt. That's a good mm, idea. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take some samples. Oh, that's even better. That's a great idea. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. But Antarctica, like I said, and you said, and I'm talking really loud, I'm sorry. Because um, we, Anubis is pretty talented with his microphone. And um, he's got it set up so we don't have to, like, be right on top of it. So it kind of picks up in, like, this triangular, like, location. And because it's not right in front of me, I feel like I need to be like, Hey, can you hear me? (laughs) Hey there, night owls. Hey, hey there. What's up? What's up, Bobbers? Exactly. Exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. Warriors. This is why we're They've married. made it to third. They're trying to get the home base. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to be for Halloween if I'm home. Baseball Furies. Okay. Are you good with that? Yeah. So, anyway, sorry. We're, I'm doing my tangent thing. I find... Um, I understand why we go to Antarctica. Like me, I'm, I have no interest unless, for whatever reason, I am going to be doing a cable. Oh, it's much too cold for me. I uh-huh. have zero interest. I... I would only go if we're doing a cable down there. And I, you know, but it's it's insane because it's literally the southern tip. And you see, like, this photo that was taken from space here. I'm showing you where... It's like God just took a load and threw it off yeah. Earth. <laughs> kind of looks like the Millennium Falcon, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, getting back to the music. Uh, brand new stuff from Ectoplasma, and here's some new stuff from Slow called The Feeble Lord. 
listening to Metal Tavern Radio, come get it. You're lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Alright, we're back again. Gotta talk a little bit about some music. Hey, that's what this whole podcast is about, right? Yeah, I know, right? Like, you know, that's what we do. So, recently, Gene Hoagland, Testament, and of course, he played with Devin Towns on Strapping Your Lad, as well as uh, Death. Dark Angel and Death. So, he has a nice little history there with metal and filling in and doing some other projects, but. He announced he's leaving Testament after playing with them for 10 years, uh, both on record and and uh, live shows. And he's going on to other endeavors, which he didn't mention, but uh, we'll see what he does. He's always uh, doing something pretty interesting and cool. So, but there's an article that's talking a little bit about, from uh, Metal Injection, about six drummers that could possibly replace him. Ironically, three of them in the list also played with Slayer oh, wow. <laughs> at one point or another. Uh, first and foremost, uh, their first name is Paul Bostaff, uh, who actually started playing with Forbidden back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I believe Bostaff did fill in, yes, he did play it for Slayer for a, week, uh, a few years when uh, Lombardo left. Uh, so he's a name that gets brought up, uh, speaking of Lombardo. Original Slayer drummer is also in consideration to uh, fill in. Um, I don't even know if he's playing with Slayer still and I think he is still playing with Slayer right now uh, but they also mentioned that Barrow could step in as Metallica's live drummer so who knows um, but uh, Dave is clearly keeping himself uh, busy and you know look Testament's a good gig the band's like been on fire the last two or three records and they're still doing great live And you they, saw them at their uh when was the last time we saw them? MDF. It I was think. MDF, yeah. yeah. I think Ho- Hoagland was there for that one. Um, now, they are on tour, or going to be on tour, with Death Angel and uh, a couple other thrash bands, because they're all doing the whole, like, nostalgia thing from when they were in the, uh, the Bay Area thrash, so I think violence might be a part of that mm-hmm. as well. Uh, or Exodus, one of the two. Uh but that's a good show because that's coming through uh, Baltimore's uh, soundstage, so I might try to catch that if I am able to. When is that? Am I going to be able to make it? <laughs> I think it's in March, actually. Oh, it is, <laughs> motherfucker! You you know you've got a lot of friends who are into metal, and <clears throat> you know maybe this might be a time where you can reach out to some of our friends who are close but not close. You could have them come down. I won't be here, so. We, we've got a spare, a queen-size spare bed now. Like, before your ass had to sleep on a little-ass day bed. Now we've got, it's our old bed, and our old bed is only two years old, and it's very comfortable. We just upgraded to a king-size where well, you can... Well, now I have I can sleep once you're gone. I can go to any room. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, like, if you wanted to invite a friend who may not live close and say, hey, I know you like metal, I have a spare bed, like... Oh, yeah, that could happen anytime. But I'm just saying, because you'll be alone. You may want to... I know you like to go to shows, and I know we have friends who like to go to shows, and they may not live, like, right around the corner. So, I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, Another ex-Slayer guy, John Dette, who uh, also played with White Zombie, I think, at one point, uh, way back in the day. Uh, Former... 
Ain't on Athrak, Exodus, Gorgoth, and Benedict, as well as former Demi Boyer drummer, or actually Creole Phil. He, probably, he might have played with Demi as well. Nicholas Barker, uh, certainly a guy that's uh, in consideration, apparently, for filling in Hoagland's shoes. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite of the bunch um, is Chris Adler, uh, former of uh, Lamb of God. Uh, his, his drum is pretty good. I think he's a good fit for uh, Testament. Oh, shit. What? February 19th, the Decibel uh, Magazine Tour, Obituary Municipal Waste. Yep, I want to I know. I, if I get bumped another couple of days, I'll make it. And then fucking Cannibal Corpse is the day after. <laughs> oh, my God. This is what happens when I decide to start traveling again. All right. Well, mm -hmm. but you got kind of lucky because what's the one... Uh, concert that your mom got me and that got pushed till fucking September or something because you weren't going to be here initially uh huh oh god who was it Meshuggah yeah and I forgot who the opener was but you're like wow that's a really good opener yeah I'm almost more interested in seeing because you've seen Meshuggah before but like you, I forgot who actually I have not seen Meshuggah before oh you haven't no. I thought you had nope ooh so this is all around a good thing yeah so it looks like Static X is coming back on March 11th, so maybe you can go and not pass out this time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nile will be there March the 9th. Dark Tranquility will oh, wait, be who's there. Oh, Nile? Uh, come on. Uh, okay, Incantation. I can't read this one. It looks like a, a turd. Yeah, it's probably going to be a pretty good show. There's a lot of good stuff Look, there. Look, Sepultura, Sacred Rite. Crowbar, yeah, I just wish it was old Sepultura. <laughs> well, you get what you get. Uh, what's Kat Von D? Was she a singer? I thought she was just a tattoo artist. I don't know. I don't know either. It's her, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is very Mayhem, mayhem and Watane. I don't even like Watane, really. And let's yeah, we see. kind of get really sidetracked here because I'm just kind of looking at what's We're up. looking at what's coming up. Okay, April, Steve. Animals as leaders. Yep. Yes, I'll be gone for that. Dragon, Dragon Force. Force. KRS-1. Um, looking kind of light in April. That's uh, because it's pretty far up. <clears throat> Alright, so I'll be back in, in May. Oh, that's a testament. <gasps> May 1st. Excess, all tickets. Yeah. So, maybe if I'm back... I won't be back in time. Most likely, I'll be back the second week in May. That's just how it works. Um, it was on a devastation of the nation. Where's that? Eighth. That is Rotting, Rotting Christ. Christ uh, Borneger. No. Oh yeah, Borneger, Wolfheart, Abigail Williams. Okay. And then, of course, we've got the Maryland Death Fest. So yeah. I should be home by the end of May. <laughs> I, I might be going by myself. I ain't gonna be anybody left to go. I know at at this point, but like right now, the the sign off date is May the eighth. She'll knowing her luck, she'll get caught out there. Mm, well, I, it will be three months, so hopefully, I can get the fuck out of there by May the eighth. Get the fuck out of Get there. Get the fuck out of there. Sorry. All right. Let me open up my, my uh, story again. Six drummers. Okay. So anyway. Nicholas Barker. Yeah. But we talked about that already. Okay. Next one. Chris Adler. We already talked about that one. Martin. 
Axumrat. Okay, I don't know much about him. But... He he recently parted ways with Opeth. Start. I actually like Adler the best. That's pretty much my two cents on that. Bonus drummer Travis Barker. <laughs> From Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah. Anyway, there's another article. Uh oh. That I wanted to talk about. Uh-huh. And it's how old songs are killing the new songs. Yeah, it's saying that old songs, classic rock, classic songs, and we're, we're not even talking like old, old. I'm talking like early 2000s old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's like think my 20s, which is still old because I'm 41. So we're thinking like the early 2000s previous represent 70% of the U.S. music market. And we were, I was listening to the Chad Duke show and they were kind of talking about this because, like, um, there's certain, like, club songs, you know, that have been around since the beginning of time and they just keep getting played nonstop, even though the songs are 40 years old or 20 years old. And I remember uh, Chad was, ta- you know, that song by um, Genuine Pony? Yeah. Yeah. That came out when I was in high school. It's still kind of like the jam. Like, you turn it on. Well, think about how many times we go somewhere. They're putting on, like, um, Pour Some Sugar On Me. They're putting Journey on. They're putting, you know, Old ACDC. These are all things that came out when I was, like, a child. So 40-year-old music is more popular because... Well, yeah, I was talking about when we were doing the interview with Samurai that the guy from work, you know, he kind of blew me away because he's, you know, he was picking up some packages that helped me out because he was actually assisting me that day mm-hmm. and uh i was blasting my my metal of course <laughs> as i'm helping unload some of the stuff that i have and i guess even though the stuff i was playing was heavier he's like yeah you know i heard an interesting song the other day i really liked it's called alone again he didn't really remember the band and i'm like and i go wait a minute you, you talking about doc and he's like yeah i think that was it and i said well where'd you hear that because i didn't did not expect that to be on mainstream radio and it wasn't he says i heard it on xm radio i was like ah that makes sense i said yeah that's a good track man it's a good band and uh, i'm glad it's kind of cool you like that because like you know it's like these days like the older stuff is really standing out more than the newer stuff and he's like yeah i agree so it's, it's, it's still outselling mm-hmm. and representing I mean, the 200 most popular new tracks are less than 5% of total streams. So, like, I don't even know what's new right now. I wish I did, but I don't. I want to be cool. Well, that's the thing. is It's not, it's not cool anymore. That's what they're trying to say. <laughs> like, the old, sound, old songs now represent 70% of the U.S. US music market. So that means that even the younger people yeah, so this, are into the old This stuff. woman is given an example. She was at a diner. And every song that was being played at the diner was more than 40 years old, and the entire staff was under 30. And she asked her waitress, like, hey, why are you playing this old music? And the waitress was like, oh, I like these songs. Like, this is the first time in history new tracks have attained hit status but literal, literally not having any cultural impact because let's think about some hits like Thriller. Mm-hmm. Everybody had fucking Thriller. Everybody in the world had the album Thriller. Non-metalheads and metalheads had the album Thriller. It was a cultural... 
here's another like non-metal example uh Celine Dion my heart will go on it was in a movie it was played non-stop people were dancing to it at their prom people were having it as their wedding song again people may be bringing in the hits but nobody cares yeah you know it's interesting i mean yeah i get it the the katie perry's and the who's the uh i forget her name all of a sudden <laughs> taylor swift oh uh, swizzle they're they sell obviously but I but think, you gotta think they both have been out longer what well, but i'm just saying they've that been around in the early 2000s so their shit has that like like Lady Gaga like their shit already has like an I don't established think, I don't think base. they're even referencing early two thousands that much I think they're going back from like nineties on they back. are but because like he says or whoever's writing articles is the current list of most downloaded tracks on iTunes is filled with the names of bands from previous centuries such as Creedence Clearwater Revival and The Police so like they're really going back like people who are young aren't even worried that much about some of this but this new. is something else that they're saying in this this article from the Atlantic. A decade ago, only 10 years ago, 40 million people watched the Grammy Awards. That's a big audience, right? Not now. You can get more views on Twitch, on YouTube. There, I mean, streams, yeah, of, streams of video games on Twitch gets 30 million daily visitors. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares about the Grammy Awards. It, it's really crazy. Like, it says, in fact, music, musicians would probably do better getting placement in Fortnite than singing, signing a record deal in 2022. Yeah, and it's funny because most modern music is very uninteresting. In 2021, like, 8 million people watched the Grammys. 10 years ago, 40 million people. It's unreal. Yeah, I mean, I remember not too long ago when the band... Uh, Ghost like was on the Grammys and like we streamed that shit because they didn't even play it live, right. remember? And that's what I'm saying is like you took a band who no one really expected to be there to win and you didn't even show them like that's interesting. People, yeah, they didn't put them on the main stage; they put them on like the ancillary stage. Right, right. You got to see it on the internet, but like as far as like the mainstream viewers didn't. Get and to see we that. were in. I was at least into Ghost. I still am. I still love them very much. But remember. I was at that time working at that accounting firm, and I would just put their records on. I think there was only two or three at the time, and I just would put their shit on repeat all day. And then I started like looking for little sarcastic. Because the fun, the one thing I love about Ghost is they're doing it in a very like sarcastic way of mm. how they're like poking fun of Catholicism, which I love because I grew up Catholic. And it anytime they do something, so I would like look at their lyrics and I'm like this is where he got that idea I remember this or whatever but the one thing that I this article also points out um, the song catalogs most in demand are by musicians who are in their 70s or 80s mm -hmm. or already dead like Bob Dylan, Paul Simon Bruce Springsteen, David Bowie and James Brown. Yeah I think one area that I disagree with the article is like why it's happening and the person in the article is kind of leading it to the idea that labels and people in general are not investing in new music. Like, it's sort of like this person is blaming the audience for not backing up these newer, younger musicians. I'm like, that's not really true. But if your music is very uninteresting, because we, you and I play stuff on this podcast week in and week out from rock, too, which is... Far more interesting than anything you've heard on mainstream radio. 
So, if if we're not investing in whatever's being played on the radio, it's because it's not very interesting, not very good, at least to us. The other thing they're saying, too, is like the fear of copyright lawsuits has really made um, the industry kind of afraid of listening to unsolicited demo recordings. Because mm-hmm. that's just how we are nowadays. You see, we have friends on YouTube, they'll put something up and, oh, if you don't have the... We're, you're making a new um, intro for the YouTube channel, and I could bet you we're probably going to get in trouble for it, and then we're going to have to be like, look, John, oh, no, no. Is, John is our friend. I've actually talked to someone already from that Fiverr that I've been in communication with them. Oh, good. As I said, I've talked to John from Nomaz, so musically I told this person, like, because we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do, but... I told him, I said, I already have the music. I have the the, uh, the okay from the band itself, the artist. So even, like, if you have questions, I'm covered in that area. Mm-hmm. If YouTube has issues, I will tell them the same thing, that I'm covered here. You can talk to the band, and they will tell you that it's okay. So from that angle, that's fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some people are a little afraid to go down these roads because, uh Social media is very quick to pull shit that, you know, they're worried about being sued over because it's mm-hmm. on their platform. Uh, but overall, just, you know, radio stations are sort of the blame, too, because, you know, here it is. I'm trying to explain to people. We're doing a small nilly-dilly podcast. Nilly-dilly? Playing stuff that, you know, one, either no one's really playing anymore. Like, there's stuff to, like, make, like this week we have uh, a track from Filter in there. Mm-hmm. And it's one of our lesser-known tracks, but, like, it's a good track. So, like, why aren't we hearing that kind of stuff? We don't even hear that anymore. We only no, hear- we hear, wake up my airplane, wake up. You know, their, hit, their, their one hit that is now, oh, it's not their one hit, but, you know, it's their commercial hit. Right. That's on every commercial, every movie. And I try to uh, emphasize that going back through some of these bands' catalogs, you can find some really good tunes that never became singles, but they're really good for radio. Uh but some of the stuff that I've heard, like, I don't even listen to mainstream radio. Her and I, the one good station we have is the Bay. <laughs> and, and it's because classic rock. Exactly. We get in and we're automatically tuned into it. Uh, because whatever they're playing, whether it's Queen or, you know, Journey or whatever. And that's because we really like those tunes. There's They'll even play stuff from the 90s, like Nirvana. Mm-hmm. It's not just like 70s and earlier. They're doing like 90s and earlier. And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm back in high school. This is fun. Yeah. And it's like, that's the one station that I like. Like even 98 Rock, which was one of those stations I kind of grew up with here in Maryland. For a while they were doing okay. Because I remember they used to do Late Night where they play Mandatory Metallica or, you know, some separate Oh, God, I tracks. remember Mandatory Metallica. Yeah, and they really don't even do that shit anymore. It's like you got the same whiny stuff that Neko complains about, whiny fucking music. And it's like, who wants to listen to that shit? It's terrible. We are at a very interesting music, musical and when I say precipice. Ter- is that the best way to put it? Like, that's what it is right now. Um, we... We need kind of like, this is going to sound crazy, but we kind of need like that shot in the arm, which which Nirvana did to us in the 90s. Like, we need something like that because I feel like, yeah, we we had that hair rock, which I love, and we had the 80s and everything was very like almost 
you could feel it transforming from the 70s into the 80s but then when the 90s hit it was like a wall or a door slammed and it was a whole new opening of music and it really i really felt like it started with the alternative rock mm -hmm. and you've got nirvana and then they everybody was going crazy trying to find the next nirvana and that kind of even spew, spewed um <laughs> spurred uh a little and i'm not saying nirvana like turned into new metal but like it was making people's creative juices flow so to speak because they're like okay we're gonna get different we're gonna we're gonna like stick to like what we love which is the the old metal but we're gonna get a little crazy and then you've got like even the hip-hop in the 90s was different than the hip-hop in the 70s and the 80s it yeah. was just like the 90s was like this and even most hip-hop guys like i don't listen to it a lot but i know a lot of people who like it uh, they'll tell you the same thing. Right? When they talk about their favorite music, they're always going back to the 90s or 80s for mm -hmm. the hip-hop. They, The newer stuff that's out there, they really don't like it that much except for maybe a, a couple of artists. And usually those artists they're referring to are ones that I haven't even discovered yet as far as like the mainstream is concerned. Or it's somebody who has been like Wool John, who's been around since the 90s in other groups, and now he's got his own shit going on, and you're like, how the fuck is this guy still even relevant? Like, right. How is he even... He's still here because he's still been chugging along and he's been making... I That's what I want to see. You know, it is 2022 right now. Right? Yeah. I don't feel like since the 90s have we had that huge, like, something smack us right in the face that's going to make us turn our heads. I can't think of anything from 2000 that really changed anything. The only thing I can think of is Lady Gaga. And, but that's just kind of like mainstream music. But she's been around since the early 2000s, and she's kind of... I don't, think, I don't think she really changed anything either. I think her, much like Britney Spears or Katy Perry, they kind of just did their thing. They were big, but it wasn't really a game changer per se. She was just a different look. But as far as like changing a whole identity of a music, we just haven't had it. Mm -hmm. Like Maybe you can sit there and say... Well, you know, I think Coldplay might have been that, or maybe now modern day Radiohead. But I'm like, no, not really. They're, those bands are, are doing their own thing, but it's kind of like it's still not enough to say you're not going to change an entire genre and, and put it on its head. Like Nirvana changed the entire landscape of everything. They really did. Four years later, Korn did it when New Metal became uh -huh. a thing. So. The 90s were just big, and as Neko said, hip-hop in the 90s was, uh, even even I was kind of still tuned in to hip-hop stuff that, back then. Because you're thinking of, like, uh, Puff Daddy, Jay-Z. Busta Rhymes, yeah. you're thinking of the Wu-Tang Clan, and, like, I'm so surprised that you never even, like, kind of got into Wu-Tang because all they do is use samples from kung fu movies. I, again, it's just... It's, you just never really listen. Yeah, I'm just more of a rock and metal guy, so it's not that I can't appreciate the Wu-Tang Clan. It's just it's not something I listen to on the norm. I think the one thing, because I am mostly rock and metal too, but the one thing that really got me with Wu-Tang is they instrumented, like, they had their keyboard. They came up with, like, all the stuff in their head and then put it out there. Whereas I see a lot of now... It's all like we'll pull some some beat that people know and then try to like make them get into the song. Whereas and they get in trouble for copyright. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who's Robin Thicke? Yeah. <laughs> Which that was a great video and a great song. We we were like we're like bouncing around. Yeah, we're that's like a good yeah, tune. this is a good tune. Then and they then get, they get sued for <laughs> it. then we're like oh my god, 
That is the same song. It really is. When somebody brought it up and said, that's that song um, by Marvin Gaye. Gaye. And I played it, and we were doing the thing where we were playing both of them at the same time. We're like, holy shit, it really is the same fucking song. And that's the thing, because Thick was using an entire beat, almost a la la like uh, Vanilla Ice. (laughs) However, Puff Daddy was just sampling. And I think he did have permission from guys like the police and David Bowie to do that, because I know those were a couple of artists that he was like using samples from. So it is different if you're sampling something with the and permission. And giving, like, you know, credit to, whereas if you take something and, and then try, you to try to get like, your own Yeah, you're like, name. no, no, it's a different beat. You know, you, you're not going to convince anybody of that shit. It didn't work for Vanilla Ice. didn't work for Robin Thicke. Mm-mm. Music, it's just, but that's just proving our point. Robin Thicke, that came out in, what, 2011? Mm-hmm. That song? Proving our point. He took a song from the 80s. And made it, passed it off. I mean, clearly he sang different songs, but he took that entire song and made it his song. That's what's happening nowadays. And, you know, my niece, who is 11, she will be 12, one of her favorite songs is Dream One by Aerosmith. Loves Dream One by Aerosmith. I don't know why. Maybe just from hanging out with my mom and her listening to the 70s station uh, on Sirius XM. But we're seeing younger people now are like, I'm going to give you an example of me as a dummy child. I, um, you remember the monkeys, right? You know, I love the monkeys. I don't know what it was about them, but I, I love them. And they were playing the show on um, Nickelodeon, the kids station here, when I was a kid. I would watch it all the time. My, my grandmother would tape it because it came on late and then I'd watch it like the next day. And, um... My my mother was like, you do realize these are reruns. Like, this came out in the 60s when I was a kid. And I'm just, my mind was just blown because if you can recognize something that's a good, like, I mean, it was just poppy, rock, jingly music that I dug as a kid. And it was good then, and it was good, you know, in the 80s when they did the reruns as well. I think that's starting to happen, especially, like, you know, we are older and we have that nostalgia for older music, just like parents do. And I think they're playing their music for the kids and they're real- the kids are realizing that this is not bad music at all. Maybe I'm crazy. What do you think? Do you think sometimes the influence of, like, parents and aunts and uncles and stuff, like, playing music around the younger people, they're like, oh, wow, this isn't bad, you know? I don't think so. I think sometimes that's what shape people like it, it's kind of funny and i just say this in a funny way because i haven't really kept up with my nephew jeff uh who's in his 20s now but as a kid and in his mother's womb you know i used to hang around with my sister and her husband at the time a lot more than i do now and obviously i was always playing metal and rock so they're i don't know if i want to call it a myth there's a sense of topic discussion that sometimes babies that are in the womb and what they're hearing on the outside is something they can kind of connect with as they No, it's proof because they they tell you to play music for your baby. But um whereas my niece, uh his sister who I wasn't around as much at the time that she was in the womb and you know I was around a little bit when she was a kid, but uh she's into different types of music not even related to music like I like and I know her mother 
despite liking some hard rock and stuff like that from the 80s and whatnot, she wasn't really, she was more into country and stuff, so it wouldn't surprise me if my niece is more into, like, hip-hop or country. She's more country. into country music. So, it, it, again, it's just, it just depends, and, you know, I, if we had a kid, you know, most likely they'd grow up a heavy metal rock person. Uh, John Luckis, he his parents were in that stuff, and he's a no-moss now, so that just kind of tells you how it goes and you see my my which is nothing wrong with that and even 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 if we've talked about it, it's like it's not about me or her trying to force a kid to like any particular type of music it's just that you know that's kind of like where it would probably go because the kid would see what we're into and since we're so passionate about this kind of stuff they we'd, would, we'd be the ones with the big uh noise noise blocking headphones taking a four-year-old too They'd be uh, probably latching on to the stuff that we're playing in one way or the other. But, again, this article, you know, again, seems to be kind of blaming the, the radio stations and labels for not doing more for these younger artists. And I'm like, I don't think that's the case. I think the problem is, is that we have to find stuff that's a little more interesting, a little more thought-provoking, and less on the whole, like, I hate to say it, the less on the agenda type thing where... You know, you get these some of these uh, more modern hip hop artists who are trying to cater to this, you know, wokeness. I will call. Um, I think it's important to have something you have to say because a lot of bands do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to be careful about becoming a lecturer or a preacher and just use your music to tell the story. Uh, obviously, artists want to be uh, leaders of a new generation. Personally, that's fine. But let your music do the talking. Uh, even if it's not politically or religiously uh, driven, uh, your music needs to be interesting. Uh, that, I think, is the other thing, too. Like, one the of the music nowadays isn't as interesting. Or I find a lot of bands that Neko knows I have on vinyl and stuff like that from the Black Heart Death Cult or Lycanthropy from UK. Uh they have this very old school classic rock vibe. It's in a modern vein, but you can hear the influences. Like Lacrop 3 is like almost like a newer version of Fleetwood Mac in some ways. Maybe not as good, but they have that similar sound. And then some of these other bands that I hear uh, that I have are doing these rock albums that are very classic rock influence and it's like it just brings me back and it's interesting that's that's on top of the thing it's very interesting i'd rather hear this stuff on the mainstream radio than anything that's out there right now because i think that stuff that's on mainstream radio even with these younger artists they're probably getting bad advice uh in terms of like their agents or their labels who are saying well, if you want to succeed, you got to get this for these little kitty kids. You know, but no, you need something that's interesting that's going to connect with people overall. You can't just think it about the teeny boppers. Because uh, there are working people every day who aren't like us who will actually listen to the mainstream radio and they get turned off by shitty music. They just do. It's, it doesn't help their days go any easier. And to help people get through a day, you want them to be able to be interested in the shit that they're hearing. So I think the biggest part is just start digging deeper for the mainstream stuff. And I guarantee you, you're going to find music that's interesting, that's good, and it's very 
a lot of the rock that we play on our, our rock blocks are music that can be played on mainstream radio. There's nothing, it does. There's no like a lot of cursing. There's nothing really nasty about the lyrics. It, it will fit on any mainstream radio. In fact, a lot of the stuff that I listen to would fit easily in the old on the bay. And fuck, I would I'd easily contact them and like, look, love your station as it is, but here I got some shit I gotta send you, dude, because shit rocks and be great on your station. I think that's the other thing too is people. Um, it's been going on for years. The pressures that labels and um, bigger labels and radio stations have are um, you're being forced because it's all part of like it might be part of like CBS or whatever you know umbrella. So when you bring in an independent label, you're like, oh, I can't do that because it's not part of our umbrella. So you mm -hmm. don't really get to. We need a pirate radio, you know? Well, I've always dreamed if I had the fucking money, like the serious money, I would buy like a, a channel somewhere on our local radio station and I would literally put Metal Tavern as a radio. We could probably do something. I mean, we do have Metal Tavern Radio and it's out there for people to just like tune in. And oh, yeah, yeah. It's on the internet. We have the station and that's a great place for people. Like if you're not really into mainstream radio, you can find us on... Uh, your iPhone or Android, uh, best best app to use is the XII Alive app because it actually gives you the name of the band and, and song playing as you're listening. Does to that it. work for like podcasts too? Because I've been um. Well, Podbean you can get the podcast, but it doesn't tell you the song that's playing, even though we do have it listed on the site. So mm -hmm. like you know, which sites in in work? I know um I know our. Our designer was sick last week, so that's you know. But I know we keep talking about it. We've been, she's been working on it really hard, and uh, she's putting the finishing touches on it. And I feel like once we get this website, it's just gonna be like a door just busts open. I don't know why, because like if you say I'm from Metal Tavern Radio, and then you just go to metaltavernradio.com, it's right there. Like, now it's like, oh, go on Facebook and find us, or go on Podbean, or go on, like, XII Radio. Yeah, because it's this all going to be This is all going to be there. Yeah. Metaltavernradio.com is ours. We claimed it. We claimed that shit. We have the rights to that website, and I am so excited because... We are going to be linking our, our friends on YouTube. We're going to be linking our friends who, like Nomos, we're going to be linking to their catalogs. We're going to be doing everything we can. Because our goal is literally promotion. Mm -hmm. You know, come on now. Like, even if you, as a, you know, maybe you don't have a website and you're like, go to Metal Tavern Radio and we're on the right-hand side. You can just click right there. That would be awesome for us because you can come to our website and be like, boom, it's right there. Maybe one day, you know, Anubis and I were kind of like talking about um, merchandise, mm -hmm. and we're not even thinking big. We're thinking like stickers, stickers like, and cups. You, you know, know. I mean, nothing simple, but maybe know. bottle openers because that kind of goes with us because we like to drink. But I, um, I am big. Like I love supporting our friends. How many fucking t-shirts do I have of our friends? And we have to pick out t-shirts for Iraq too. Because he gave me the code, the, the code, the in, and um, I'm a t-shirt person. I I remember, um, I forgot what band it was. The one that's uh, Nipa fucking death metal, and it says that on the back. Cruel bomb. So I was wearing my cruel bomb t-shirt a lot on one of my jobs, and they're like, 
what is NEPA fucking death metal? Because it says it on the back, and we're sailors, so, you know, it doesn't matter. And I, they're, I, they just got such a buzz. They're like, what is Cruel Bomb? And I was like, they're pretty fucking awesome. Like, they're just a really cool metal band. And so that's the whole idea. We just want everybody to come to our website and it'd be like, the tavern. That's the whole idea, is it's the tavern. You come to our website, you're hanging out. Is that dumb? Am I am I making it sound no, okay? Sounds good. So like you go to metaltavernradio.com. We have a, a forum. We have links to other YouTube shows. We have what we've been playing lately. We have links to our podcast. The whole idea, even if you're not like totally into the metal, we're gonna put things up that hopefully interest you and you know, hopefully for our friends too. It helps drive more interest to them, to their, to their bands' websites, to our YouTube friends' websites, to all of that. It's a community, and that's what we—that's what we envision for MetalTavernRadio.com. It's not going to be just about us, us, us. It's not me, me, me. It's about a community. We want everyone to feel like we are giving them love. Um, and if you don't feel like we're giving you enough love, tell us. We'll, we'll put a link up there for you because that's the idea. And it's an easy website to remember. That's the whole, like, literally, the idea is I have an easy website. It sounds cool. And all of our friends are invited. Yep. So, sorry, I went tangent Neko again. It's all good. Getting back into our music. What's uh, coming up next, baby? Got killed a gentleman from uh, Grand Sounds Promotion. Brand new stuff from Mortify, but here's brand new stuff from Catacomb, Nailed to Absurdity.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and Keiju related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Alright, getting ready to jump into our rock block. Oh yeah? Yeah. High five for the rock block. Uh, in this week's rock block, we got some new stuff from Moonlight Haze provided by Scarlet Records. Nice. Ravenfield provided by Metal Message, Marcus Eck. And let's see, we got some classic material. Oh, no, new stuff from Casey Monder, who contacted me through email. So we got his work in there. And some classic material from Porno for Pyros and Filter. Really? Yeah. Uh, and of course, that goes pick of the week, which we'll get to, which is very interesting. And um, that's what I've been trying to do because I have the most wide variety of songs that I like that are rock oriented. But at first, with this pick, you were just kind of like, you know, I'm not a real big fan of this song. But then when I started giving you some some background on it and you were like oh wow i didn't realize that about this group you were like it's it's interesting how they were you know it may not be your style or taste but you're like i totally respect this group because fuck amazing yeah the artists involved are high quality high like it's a super and, group. and technically i'd probably actually sit down with the record in totality because it, it could be one of those records where the single itself was Maybe not the best track to represent who they are, but like without hearing the entire record, because there may be stuff in there that I might really like. Uh, this song isn't necessarily bad. It's just it I got played the shit out. Of. I remember when it came out, I was like, yeah. But looking back and looking at the roster, I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of talent in there. So it's we'll be getting to that, but we're gonna kick it off with Ravenfield right now. This is called Faith to Hate.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. That you fell upon And tell me I should be afraid But I don't see facts Just a one-way ass Who don't see the way he's played You say you hate the girl from Morrison's Cause you don't like how she's dressed She won't show her face She's from some race And it causes you distress And if the world just sawed in two Would that be good? DJ Anubis and I, we, we like to play racquetball. We try to do it twice a week. When I was in between jobs, we were doing it like three times a week because I, we could do it during the day. And then it's hard, though, because 
he and I our schedules and stuff, but we always have Wednesday. Like Wednesday is always like the locked. We in. Will always have Wednesday. We will always have Wednesday. Wednesday is our locked in day. We will always play racquetball on Wednesdays, and for whatever reason, nobody else ever. When I call in to make our reservation, I look at the reservation when when I'm signing us in. Nobody plays on Wednesdays but us. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody has seen um, Cable Guy, he's got the the headband and the goggles, and he's like, hold on, gotta warm up before I pull a hammy. And I, I do that every time before we start playing, because I got my goggles on because we're playing racquetball, and I got my headband on too because it's fucking hot and I'm sweaty, and I do not like sweat drifting into my eyes while we're playing racquetball, and then he laughs at me because I'm doing like, what is it, like fucking suicides? So I do it just like fucking Chip Douglas in Cable Guy, and I make him laugh. And sometimes, because we take our little, um, we take our little boombox that's Bluetooth, and we listen to music while we're playing. I remember who was it? Wasp mm-hmm. was playing, <laughs> and I was fucking rocking out. And he's serving, so like she missed I missed like three serves, and he won because. I'm back there dancing and laughing so hard I couldn't even like get my shit together so but that's our thing you know and I think it's been good I I I feel like it has been very healing for me because I had like a really rough year and then we started doing that right after I quit my hiatus job and it was like oh I feel so good and powerful and raw <laughs> and we've been having a good time um i feel like i'm being a little bit more competitive because i've gotten a little bit well you won some games boy he ha- he knows how to play he he played for years when he was in high school and college and me i never played before so he was just kind of giving me the basic here's how you play these are the rules this is what you want to do and i think we've been having a good that's the whole goal we, we like to have activities that we enjoy with each other, and I've been enjoying this a lot. And I thank you for, you know, showing me the racquetball, because you know how obsessed I am with the racquetball. Yep. So, this week... Which has nothing to do with racquetball. I know. It has nothing to do with <laughs> racquetball. The song is not, I love racquetball. Um, this week, I was... I, I always kind of give DJ Anubis songs like as i'm thinking like this is an important song to me or this is a a significantly culturally important song and this is where this song came from it's it's a little bit more of it is a musically culturally important song is that the best way to put it Mm -hmm. because the song i picked is by the traveling wilburys and they're a super group i mean they are You've got Tom Petty. You've got Roy Orbison. Am I saying I said his Orbison, name? Yeah. Orbis, Orbison. Oh my God. Orbison. Orbins. Whatever. You've got Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, and George Harrison. You've got like a huge super group. Now, I know they're more of like Southern rock slash countryish. And a lot of this one particular song that I'm going to play this week has been played the shit out of. However. Well, not really recently. I mean, this is, what, 80s tune? Yes. So, what I I learned, um, Roy Orbison died before 
they could like start promoting the the album and and before the music video was shot and what i thought was really interesting and i told you it's actually kind of sad but they had like him uh in a rocking chair and it's like mm-hmm. a picture of him in the rocking chair in the music video um a lot of people kind of say like oh why wasn't roy in the video but they didn't realize that he had passed away before they shot it and the song is end of the line and it it literally represents the train's last stop so because like when you see the video it looks like they're on a train right you know so that's the whole idea and i guess like the last stop is literally death so i um i really when they when they hit his verse they'll like focus on that rocking chair with his picture and then during like while they're doing the chorus they'd kind of like panned it to the rocking chair and the it's rocking almost like ghostly like because there's nobody in there it's just the picture um it's really interesting too because uh they don't really give a lot of credit to because it, it's a super group but the drummer is jim keltner Mm -hmm. and he has played with a lot of people um he has done work with george harrison who is in the traveling wilburys he's done work with john lennon even with yoko ono he worked with ringo Starr. he worked with keith moon (laughs) you know like he's he's one of those musicians who nobody knows about but the travel traveling wilburys clearly george george harrison knew about him really well and had worked with him before so he's like this is going to be our dude and um it's gonna be our dude. sorry this is our guy and oh, needed a sip so yeah he played on both albums released by the supergroup the traveling wilburys and um he was playing under the pseudonym Buster Sideberry. So I don't know if he was trying to, like, not have any attention on him because it was, like, this super group. And he just wanted to kind of, like, fade into the back. Mm-hmm. But he really... He, he was, like, a go-to drummer for years in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And in the 2000s, he, was, he toured with Crosby, Still and Nash and Young... He worked with Neil Young on his album Silver and Gold. Um, he and Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones released a CD called the Charlie Watts Jim Keltner uh, Project. He was working again with uh, Bob Dylan, uh, worked with Simon and Garfunkel. Um, so he's a really great musician that just, because these are gigantic musicians, I mean, we have Tom Petty. Yeah, I'm a big Petty fan. So. We, we've got George Harrison. We've got Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, and Roy. Like, these are gigantic musicians, and I think he was just trying to let them, because he, he's more of a session drummer, he was trying to let them be, like, have their moment. Right. So I, I picked this song and the end of the line. I literally have no, um, or figurative, figuratively, I don't have like this um connection to the song for any significant reason other than this is a, a severe supergroup like mm-hmm. a huge supergroup that 
we were just blessed with because they all got together and made a song. It may not be your cup of tea, but they were these, uh, it's very I mean, much, these amazing musicians came together. If you're even a fan of any of those guys, it's very much in the vein of what they were playing. So, again, like at the time, you know, you have to understand I was a teenager. I was more into the hair rock and hard rock stuff. Even though I had grown up on Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, when it came to, even though I was into Tom Petty and his solo stuff, you know, I didn't really pay much attention to some of the other guys. I've never really been a big Bob Dylan fan. I've liked some covers of his stuff, obviously, but uh, I think overall, like, this song still represents a good identity of who they are as artists. Like, it's all in their... And it's like a nice little slice of what was going on at the time and having these beautiful musicians all come together and make something creatively and when you hear the song it's just going to get stuck in your head for three days so sorry not sorry because it is a catchy tune and that's they did play the shit out of this back Mm -hmm. in the 80s so without further ado i really hope you enjoy this and i really hope you appreciate this more than anything appreciate the talent that we have coming up with the traveling Wilburys end of the line. Audio jump. Attention please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey Like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Audio jump. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. DJ Neko's pick of the week. Well, it's all. Somewhere down the road away, 
somewhere down the road when somebody plays
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. All right, back in the saddle. Are we back in the saddle? Back in the saddle again. So now we uh, we took a break from the action movie tier making rankings and did rom com or girl com? Well, we'll call girl com. These are like Missy movies. That's the best way to put them. Like, well, it's not just Missy movies. I mean, it's. It's it's a mixture of rom coms, girly movies, stuff that you would normally not see me watching. <laughs> uh, but but there's, there's some that you actually have a, a big appreciation for. Well, as I told you when we were making the, the rankings, that like mine's actually pretty balanced out. I really actually did put some thought into it. I mean, it was easy for me because I knew some of them were going to rank a lot higher than others. And she's, we kind of went through them together off off mic because. She was very curious of where I put stuff. And, and so she does have some issues with where some of my stuff is. But, but we also put both put movies in this. It wasn't just me. He was thinking of other movies, too, that he mm -hmm. thought I would like or movies. And there was a couple that I actually forgot about and I actually forgot to, like, include in here. And I'm like, you know what? We already had, like, 35 movies. So Well, and the other thing is when you look up. And I didn't want everything to be in great, either. I wanted to really think about movies that I enjoy, but then I wanted to kind of dissect them and say, you know, why do I... Like, we always say, anything good and above gets a rewatch ability, but when you call something great, it's not only, you know, a rewatchable movie, but it's, it's well-written, it's well-acted, and you may or may not have an emotional tie to it. Well, I was going to say that even when I went to look up like, I usually Google uh, whatever it is, genre I'm looking for because, you know, I want to see what movies they, they recommend. And so when you type in rom-coms, a lot of the movies that came up in this list are ones that her and I would say, well, it's not necessarily a rom-com, but it is. Uh, there is some romance and there is some different things going on. So either way, the best term is girl movies or girly movies. So, we call them Missy movies. Yes, Missy movies. So I'm going to break down the list of, what, of the movies we chose. We did find one that we had forgotten, but it's really neither here or there because we've got the good chunk. We've of got them. a good chunk. So the list of movies uh, are Can't Buy Me Love, 16 Candles, Overboard with Kurt Russell, not the remake. Yeah, we're talking about the Kurt Russell Goldie Hawn one. Uh, Pretty in Pink, Romancing the Stone, Working Girl, 10 Things I Hate About You, There's Something About Mary, Notting Hill, As Good As It Gets, Jerry Maguire, You've Got Mail, Jerry Picture Perfect, Chasing Amy, Pretty Woman, The Cutting Edge, When Harry Met Sally, The Prince's Bride, Dirty Dancing, Mannequin, Friends with Benefits, The Proposal, Hitch, The Sweetest Thing, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, Along Came Polly, Love Actually, What Women Want, American Sweethearts, Shallow How, Rumor Has It, The Breakup, The Girl Next Door, So I Married an Axe Murderer, 
Flashdance, Silver Lions Playbook, Steel Magnolias, 13 Going on 30, Confessions of a Shopaholic, The Holiday, Sex in the City, Addicted to Love, Sleepless in Seattle, The Women, Sweet November, The Wedding Singer, Love Story, Gross Point Blank, Nine Months, Why You Were Sleeping, Clueless, and two versions of Star is Born, the first one with Lady Gaga, and Streisand. Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, and then The Way We Were. Did you say Morning Glory? No, we, we don't have that in there. Yeah, we do. That's the one with Harrison Ford and... Uh, oh, I must have figured out on my list. So yeah, Morning Glory is in there somewhere. Uh-oh. So we do have that in there. Okay. So we'll start as we always do. The we didn't really do sucky like we usually do with like the horror. So ever since we started doing the action, we've kind of changed the way we describe things, well, which we, makes sense because I was watching Aaron Penn today. He did his 1984 horror movies of 1984 today. He he has basically what we call average. He calls meh. So that's basically what we have average. And so. And what we a lot of times do with average is for me, it's something either I don't remember seeing. Or I haven't seen, and this kind of blows my mind with some of the ones that he has put in his average, because over half of them are ones where he's like, I've never seen it, and I'm like... Yeah, there's quite there's, there's quite a bit that are in there, and a lot of it's just because I haven't seen them, so I can't really make any real input on them. So for me, I'll start, because I only have one. It's Trojan War, and I'm like... He explained it Did to you ever me. see that one? I can't remember it, and you were like telling me the story, and I'm like... What did I say it sounded like? It sounded like another movie. And he's like, no, no, this this is called Trojan War. And Well, yeah, you were... Well, no, you were confusing 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink mm-hmm. at first. So. Uh, yeah, so Trojan War is basically uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I forget the other actor's name, but the other actor is her best friend, guy friend. And he's really infatuated with this girl's school. So the girl takes notice in him and, like, she tells him that his, her parents are going to be out of town and he should come over. And now he's, like, all psyched up. He wants to get laid. So he's like, I need to get a condom. Like, the whole thing is about him trying to get a condom the entire night and everything goes wrong. It's almost like Encino Man romantically. But, uh, but the, the kicker here is that Jennifer Love Hewitt's character isn't really in love with him because they've been friends for so long. And, She's kind of jealous that he's going through all these great lengths when he's not seeing that she's in front of him, which is cool because at the end of the film, giving it away, he finally realizes that he's an idiot, confronts her, and he says, you know, I've been looking all night to try to get to this chick, that someone that's special that I thought I wanted to be with, and yet she was right in front of me, and it's like this great moment between him and... So I'm prob- I probably would really like it. Oh, yeah, it's a fun movie. Especially I can't remember it. It's like... a 90s movie. It's very fun. <clears throat> um... Now, my list, I think I'm going to give you the ones I've seen that I just, I'm not the craziest about, so I'm going to do that. Uh, Legends of the Fall, <gasps> Steel Magnolia. <Woo! laughs> uh, what else we got in here? Um, P.S. I Love You. Yeah, I agree with that. Or did I move that to a different one? No, that's right. Okay. Um, Knights of Rodanth. Rodanthe. Rodanthe. Uh, what else? Sweet November. Mm. Mm. 
Gross Point Blank. I actually didn't see that with not even seeing it with her. You saw it with Chris. He loves that movie. Uh, Shallow How. You know, Jack Black's great, but the film didn't. I kind of agree with that. I just have it one up. Now, the ones that I have not seen, and this again blows her mind, but 13 Going on 30. Which I own. (laughs) Mean Girls. Which I own. Uh, Love Story. This is a 70s movie. I don't own it, and I'm surprised he's never seen it because it came out in 1970, and it was like the the love story theme. It was like a big deal. Love means never having to say you're sorry, and uh, Confessions of a Shopaholic, which she owns. I own. River runs through it. I don't own own it, but um. Why You Were Sleeping, I believe that's that one there. You did. That was the one um, with Sandra Bullock and... Um, oh, actually, I did see that. So that's one I did see, but I didn't. my ex-girlfriend took me to that. So, yeah, I didn't like that's that That's probably one. why, because your ex-girlfriend took you. Uh, when Harry Met Sally, I did not see it. He's I know, never seen... I know the scene that people talk about. I just don't know the movie. It's so much more than that, though. They You've got like, mail. You've never... Which is one of my... This... <laughs> So, next week is my pick of the week, and I don't know which one of these I'm going to make them watch. <laughs> like, she's going to be blowing on Nick Frost from, like, Hot Fuzz. No, not which one. Which one you want to watch first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Wedding Singer. You've never seen The Wedding Singer? Nope. I know certain things about I it. I mean, it's it's good. It's okay. But, like, I can't believe you've never seen The Wedding Singer. Like I said, I, I got tired of Adam Sandler after, like, the two or three movies I saw prior to that. I used to be really into him early on. I'm surprised well, that Mate Nee didn't make you go see that, because that came out around when you guys were dating. Uh, nine months. Mm. The Way You Were, We Were, whatever. I can't it's. believe you've never seen The Way We Were. The Women. Which I own. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Which we... I think I actually do own that, and I can't believe you've never seen Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, Thelma and Louise. <laughs> the only thing I know about that is Brad Pitt's in it. Uh, yeah, so is Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, and it is, like, fucking groundbreaking. Uh, and Stepmom. That's the other one I That's know. another one with Susan Sarandon. <sighs> <laughs> See, now she knows how I feel when we do other tears, and I'm like, what? But you the, don't remember that movie? But, like, dude, some of the, like, Thumb and Louise and Sleepless, these are, like, huge movies. We didn't put Titanic on here, which we probably should have. Uh, yeah, we probably could have, but, you know. Have you seen Titanic? Yes, I have, <laughs> Really? Really? I think. Probably made me took you to see it. Probably. Definitely oh my during God. that time period. So my decent ones are movies that I either am, like, super tired of or I just never really watch more than once. Right. That's kind of how I put this. I, I, the only one, I'll start with the first one that, P.S. I Love You is on decent because I read the book before the movie came out. Yeah, on my decent list. Yellow. P.S. I Love You is on decent. It's the one where she's laying down. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Gerard Butler is in it, and Hilary Swank, and he dies. Spoiler alert. Now, but to be fair to her, she did tell me initially when this first came out that she's like, like the very first time we sat and watched it, she's like, this is garbage. This is nothing like the book. The book was so much, like, the premise of the book was true. Um, the guy was very sick, and, um... For a year, he would uh, he left a bunch of notes for his wife, 
and she was supposed to open it, you know, every month. There's for like an, 30 days yeah, or something? No, for a year. For a year. Of different notes. Like, um, like the, the first one was really simple. Like, they didn't have a side table lamp. So, you know, he said, baby, go buy yourself a lamp for your, your side table at the, at the bed. And it would, it would get like more, you know, intense because he's gone, but he wrote these, these letters to kind of like say, and at the end it always said, P.S. I love you. Yeah. It's kind of, it was kind of like him doing a, a, a version of a video, home video. Like if, uh, what was the movie with Michael Keaton and I think Nicole Kidman? No, it was Michael My Keaton Life. And, and Michelle Pfeiffer. And was it, it Pfeiffer? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's sort of like that. He knew he was dying, so in order for his unborn baby, he wanted to make these videos. It was Michael Keaton, and was it Nicole Kidman? I thought it was. I thought it was Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, whatever. But yeah, that's another one where he was. Yeah, so it's similar to that. And he wrote like all these beautiful letters to her, which they never touch on in the movie. And the whole movie itself like took place in or excuse me the whole book took place in ireland where the movie did not and you know it, the book really explored a woman um who is lost she's very young who lost her young husband she doesn't know how to navigate his family or her family or just life in general like you know somebody else is having a bachelorette party and it's like how but am I then, supposed it, to be happy for... But, like, in the movie, they give, like, 30... Not even 30 seconds to this bachelorette party where, in the book, you see this woman who she wants to be happy for her friend at a bachelorette party, and she, like, forgot her ID. This was the whole thing. And she's trying... Um, the, the main character, Hilary Swank, or not in the book, um, she's trying to get into the club but she forgot her id so her friends are like pumping her up being like she's an international celebrity and she's this and she's that and i can't believe you don't recognize her and then finally they just let her into the club and a lot of this you in in the book you see her just reflecting on what it's like to be in her 20s just starting over again the movie is not good so anyway that was my first decent one the next one is Friends with Benefits, The Girl Next Door, Sixteen Candles, Hitch, Can't Hardly Wait, Romancing the Stone, Along Came Polly, Can't Buy Me Love, Chasing Amy, Shallow Hal, and what is that? Addicted, Addicted to, to Love. love. These let me tell you, there's a lot of her decent lists that don't belong there. <laughs> so for me, like, I think, so for Hitch... I think I've seen it too much. And I was telling him that. He's like, you, you, you don't like Hitch? I said, I think I've just seen it too much. I think, um, I used to watch it almost every day on my very first job when I was sailing and I was gone for four months. Um, in the, in the gym, they ha only had a DVD player and they only had like four movies. And the only one I liked was Hitch. So I watched Hitch over and over again. Um, I, I just think that's kind of like what happened with Hitch. The other ones, like Along Came Polly, I think I've seen it once and I was like, oh, it's cute, there's a ferret. That was really <laughs> just my impression of it. Jennifer Anderson has done way better work. I mean, so... That's just kind of how I feel. Like, they're not great, but they're not, like... I probably... If you put on Can't Buy Me Love, I'd probably watch it, but... 
It's just the other movies I hold higher. In my decent list, I think I have at least one that matches her, and that's Addicted to Love. Uh, after that, oh no, actually I also have uh, Friends with Benefits, although uh, Timberlake's pretty funny in that. He's pretty funny just when he acts, yeah. so. Uh, now, it's going to get really dicey here with me, so if I end up disappearing, it's... I have a straw. I will stab you in the throat. Uh, so here we go. Uh, <laughs> Dirty Dancing. Mm. Flash Dance. Mm. The Proposal. <laughs> Working Girl. <laughs> uh, ten Things I Hate About You. Mm. Or no, it's How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Mm. Excuse me. Mm. Heartbreakers. Mm. Morning Glory. Mm. The Lake House. Mm. Rumor has it. The Devil Wears Prada. Oh! <laughs> and there's something about Mary. So those are all in my decent. So they're okay watches. Just nothing that I really care about. And overall. I also think probably with you with There's Something About Mary is kind of like me with Hitch is you saw it too much. So yeah, I, I'm hitting up the good list. These are things I will watch and I enjoy. But if we're taking my good, my my better, and my best, these are lower than the other ones. So these aren't terrible in my eyes. Well, we talked about how through good through best, it's like you can kind of mm -hmm. interchange them what depending on your mood. So I started with Mannequin. Mm -hmm. uh, love the movie. I just... One thing that really with this one, because a lot of these are just very heartfelt for me, and I just get sucked into them, I really try to figure, like, I'm putting my, um, you have to think of, like, the type of movie they are, and how well written they are, and that's where I'm kind of going from good, better, and best, like, it's gonna the better that they're directed and the better the movie and then sometimes it's really something that hits me right in the feels mm -hmm. so like mannequin is really good and i love kim cattrall so that's why it's good but it's just like to me there's other things better a star is born streisand version i don't think you've ever seen it i think you would enjoy it but i actually think that the lady gaga version is better than the streisand version um heartbreakers while you were sleeping, 13 going on 30, the women, what women want, the wedding singer, confessions of a shopaholic, although I watch it nonstop, confessions of a shopaholic. The one I forgot to add was Sweet Home Alabama. That's another one. It would go in good for me because it's a good movie. It's just not, it, it's just very boilerplate rom-com. So, um, 10 Things I Hate About You, Notting Hill, Sex in the City, Morning Glory, which part of me is like, maybe I should have moved that up, but uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer, Nine Months, The Cutting Edge, Overboard, and Gross Point Blank. In my good, uh, I have Sixteen Candles, mm -hmm. Pretty in Pink, <clears throat> Romancing the Stone, Ten Things I Hate About You, Along Came Polly, uh, I think that's Clueless, so I Married an Axe Murderer, Love Actually, Trojan War, Sex in the City, The Breakup, Chasing Amy, The Notebook, and Meet <gasps> Joe Black. <laughs> I'm actually, that hurts. Right we, we, I, I talked about 
when we did this, like I'm like, she probably would have had a, like an extra tier called the godly tier, and that's probably where the notebook would have. The added. notebook stands alone. Yeah. <laughs> like I actually made him grow a beard because Ryan Gosling. Because she was convinced I looked like Ryan Gosling a beard. That's just nowhere close to that. Oh, he does look like Ryan Gosling. No. That part where he grows the beard. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> So I know she's going to get into a great list, and it's a lot there. <laughs> Mine starts to thin out. Hers starts to get really well, see, thick. The thing is, my great list is a lot bigger than my best list. Yeah, but that's the whole point. And the idea with the best is... It's the best of the best. Great acting, great story, great directing, great rewatchability, great, like, something hits me right in the feels. You know, like, that's what happens with the best so for my um great list legends of the fall this would have been in the best except for my ex who i would murder if i saw him on site he ruined this for me because he was telling me it's his favorite movie and so now every time i watch it i just want to like stab my eyes out but i still also love it because that and america's sweethearts which is also in the great list I um, was really sick, and this is years ago, maybe like 2007, mm-hmm. I was sick for like, and I, I usually don't get sick for like a week, maybe I'll have the sniffles or a cold or something, but sick, like I'm on the couch, sick, who the fuck knows. Anubis was um, taking care of me, he went to CVS, and I guess CVS had some random DVDs, and he bought me Legends of the Fall and America's Sweethearts. Which are both in my great list, and every time I watch those movies, which are also, they're really good. Like, America's Sweethearts is very witty, very funny. Um, I just think about that time because I felt like shit, and he took the time to, like, try to cheer me up. He bought me some DVDs to make me feel better, and so that's why they kind of get elevated up there. Even though they're really good, but, like, I always just... Every time I watch America's Sweethearts, um, and I love all the actors, too, I just think of him, you know, taking care of me when I was sick. Picture Perfect, which is a great movie, and uh, that came out in the early 90s before you and I even met. And I no, watched... actually it came out in 97. Mm, okay, sorry. Before we even met. And in fact, it was just after Aniston had finished up Friends. That's, when, like, her first debut movie. Mm. Well... She did Leprechaun, like, years earlier, but, I mean, as far as, like, her, like, star performance, it was, that was the first film. I mean, you got Jennifer Anderson, you got fucking Kevin Bacon. I mean, it well, was... she also, her end up, her actual love interest, like, the guy that's posing as her boyfriend, he's the guy that... Oh, the blonde guy, I can't think of his name, Plays Shit. opposite of uh, Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. He's the other agent. That's right! Yeah. Fuck, I forgot his name. It's gonna kill me now until I look it up. <laughs> but... You know, I saw the movie multiple times at the movie theater, and then he and I, when we first started dating, just started talking about the movie at one point, and I'm like, this is a really fucking good movie. You're like, yeah, really, and it it is good. Like, you just see, it's witty, it's funny, and if you don't know the premise, she, um, this guy that she doesn't even really know she had a picture taken with him at a wedding and her co-worker lied and said that that was her fiance well because she 
was trying to get promoted and she was a single woman living in a small apartment so they were trying to make her look like she had more reason to be promoted so her friend they wanted to prove the guy her boss is actually daddy wiki from transformers he is he is and his thing was about because she wanted to get the promotion but at the time he said well we're not really considering you at the moment because you don't really have anything to lose and that's and it's kind of a shitty way to do because you actually but it's true it happens a lot to people but there, there is a scene at the end where he's kind of like when she has to expose herself for the fraud that she was and she's but, like i guess i was dressing up <coughs> the job that i wanted but she uh had a picture taken at a wedding with this guy who does wedding photos and stuff and videos and she started she actually paid this guy to pose as her boyfriend so that she can get this job and keep it uh, but her her coworker, her friend, is the one who put planted that idea into her boss's head. Right. So then the dude, who is her fake fiance, rescues somebody at a was it at a wedding or something like he rescues somebody and he's all over like Good Morning America and it tur- they're like oh oh he's a celebrity now when's that fiance of yours gonna come to New York so you can visit him. So that's why she reaches out to him, and he literally was just thinking, oh, this hot girl that I met at the wedding wants to ask me out, and then she's like, here, I've got $5,000. Well, that's the key. Will you pretend to be my fiancé? Yeah, that's the key, is he begins to really like her. And she likes him. But she's interested into Kevin Bacon, a co-worker. But Kevin Bacon only likes her because at the time she's engaged so that's why they end up hooking up yeah he's like oh you're a bad girl so, so there's that moment <laughs> when after she's explained that it wasn't real he comes and sees her and he's like so the fiance thing was not real so like no he's like you really are a bad girl yeah and she's he's like no i'm not because <laughs> yeah. she really liked bacon more than that but he was more of a player type of dude good movie though so what else you got uh love story mm-hmm. which you know spoiler alert she has cancer and she dies so if you're if you really want to cry well, you're, gonna, you're gonna find our weepy shit up there if you yeah. if you really want to cry watch love story flash dance believe it or not flash dance has been my mantra since i was a child so um i already said america's sweethearts knights and rodanthe it's another, That's another sad if you want to cry you know because he dies a river runs through it um heathers pretty in pink bridesmaids when harry met sally which this will be happy you'll be crying and laughing like because there's like ups and downs the whole time mean girls you won't cry you'll laugh um how to lose a guy in 10 days is adorable i think that's i think both those two also have done other movies together too i think so too um the way we were mm-hmm. you will cry robert redford don't want to cry you will cry uh, the Holiday, you will cry. Love Actually, you will cry. The Lake House, you will cry. Clueless, you won't cry. A Star is Born, you will cry. Sleepless in Seattle, you will cry. The Proposal, hmm, you might get a little tear here and there. Rumor has it is hysterical. Uh, the uh, family is the Robinsons, you mm. know. <laughs> um, the Breakup, you will cry. Pretty Woman is Sweet. There's something about Mary is hysterical. Meet Joe Black, you will cry. Stepmom, you will cry a lot. And you'll laugh at him. Uh, just sweetest. The thing. sweetest things you will laugh like laugh so hard that like 
You will shit your pants. And that's the one thing that Nick and I were discussing, too, before I get on my my great list, is that a lot of the actresses like Meg Ryan, Cameron Diaz, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Love Hood, they they end up doing a lot of these movies that are involved here, Sarandon, etc., so it's just kind of Roberts. Yeah, they're all always in here. All right, so my great list: Can't Hardly Wait, American Sweethearts, uh, Heather's, The Princess Bride, Bridesmaids, Silver Lions Playbook, Pretty Woman, A League of Their Own, uh, A Star Is Born with Gaga, Jerry Maguire, What Women Want, and Overboard. So, yeah, I mean, we're kind of in agreement that these are really great movies. Mm-hmm. Now, my best is short because I really was trying to... Mine's shorter than yours, actually. But I was, like, I, I said to him, I'm like, I gave you all these movies, and he gave movies, too, and I'm like, I can't just give you every movie that I'm going to put in best. I want to, um... I want to really have, like, a more balanced... Like, my great is the biggest because... They're great, but these movies that are up here in best, the um, everything about the movie, the soundtrack, the actors, etc., the story just really kind of gets me, you in know, the feels. in the feels, and it's just... So my first one is As Good As It Gets. My second one is Dirty Dancing. The Princess Bride, Working Girl. For me, Working Girl fucking like uh, and we had another Harrison Ford one with Morning Glory and we've got two Rachel McAdams three Rachel McAdams we've got Morning Glory we've got me who played opposite the girl in Knights of Redanthe I thought that was Ford no that was um fucking uh Nisa no um oh my god my brain hurts yeah, I can't remember. I can't think. I can't. It's it's very famous actor. She's got a type. I have look. to look it up because it's like super, one of her favorite Richard, movies. Richard Gere, oh, okay. which he was in Pretty Women too. Yeah. Like um, and it was Diane Lane who was the main woman. Um, so we're at Working Girl. I have working. The, the next one doesn't even belong in the best list. I don't know why. You're it's. an asshole. <laughs> Um, Sweet November. So, it's not terrible. It's so bad. Spoiler alert, she dies. You'll cry. A lot. Yeah. I know I've talked about this before. That was the first, really one of the first movies we watched together. I I kid you not. I had not seen it yet. She was bawling. So sad that she left me there, like at home. She's like, I gotta go. And I'm like, well, did I do something? And like, there was just nothing. I, I just was so overcome with emotion and embarrassed because I just met him. So I was like, I don't want him to see me crying. And he, his face was just so bewildered. I'm like, I have to go home now. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I, I've watched this movie more than probably most of these movies. You won't cry. But it has all of the things that I love. It's got gambling. It's got football. It's got mental illness. And it has dancing. And if you know anything about me, that's like my trifecta. And I I love it. 
because it's kind of like a coming back story, you know? Mm -hmm. And you see what happens, like, and you see the struggles of people, and it's very dramatic. A League of Their Own is, again, my girl Gina. Uh, Jerry Maguire. Jerry motherfucking Maguire. <laughs> I watch that on repeat all the time. The Devil Wears Prada. You've got mail. Now, I know I probably have this. You've never really seen it, but I'm going to make you see it. Um, it's probably a little higher than what most people put it because it is very uh, standard rom-com, boilerplate-like story. What I really liked about it is it's from the 90s, and it makes you remember, like, AOL. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, the chat rooms and, and instant messaging before instant messaging was, like, a thing. That's how everyone communicated. And it was just, like, crazy. And, and it just gives you me that... Wait, when you jump on AOL, you're waiting for that pop-up. Yeah. Bing! You've got mail. You've got mail. And it feels like that. And you've got this... And it is based on an old movie called The Shop Around the Corner, which is the name of Meg Ryan's shop called The Shop Around the Corner. And it wasn't back, you know, it was back in the 40s, I believe, and it w they were pen pals. Here, it's email. And it, it's, they were very, like, discreet. They didn't give each other's names. They used, remember how everybody had a, um, a screen name? So they're, like, now my email's my name. Back then, it was like, you know, NY132 and mm -hmm. Shop Girl. That's how they knew each other, but they would email each other and give each other advice and... It's 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 a rom com, but it's actually very beautiful. I'm leaving the next one for last. Um, Steel Magnolias. Um, if you want to cry, Christ, 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 Christ. Now, for me, I did the play Steel Magnolias. I played Anel, and DJ Anubis saw me do it. Um, I was a good Anel, I think. Um, it's. The movie is very true to the play, but then the movie actually adds in a little bit of extra that you like. Whereas I um, read the book of Silver Linings, and I like the movie better than the book. I feel like the movie, the changes that they made, were good changes and made the movie better than the book, and nobody ever says that. Thelma and Louise, and for me, ultimate girlfriend, groundbreaking, everything. But my best of the best is the notebook Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling and my life is better because of this movie and you'll cry because they both die and um <clears throat> what I love though no the notebook and you've got mail another one of my first jobs um we're kind of like my comfort you know what I mean mm -hmm. every single night I would go to bed to either You've Got Mail or The Notebook, and that was kind of how I, I you know, when I'm gone, I don't get to, like, talk to DJ Anubis a lot, but I um, messaged him, I'm like, you have to grow a beard, and he was like, I thought you told me never to grow a beard because you hate them, and I'm like, no, Ryan Gosling has a beard in The Notebook, and I think he'll look really good with a beard. So he grew a beard when I, when I finally got to come home after four months, and I was like, you look so amazing. So he's kept the beard since 2018, and I'm really happy about the beard. 
but the notebook god i don't know why like it goes back and forth and well, it's, we discussed it when it was your pick of the oh, week. oh it was my pick of the week one time and i said it's a great movie it's just a very depressing movie it's, but, a, it's a depressing good movie but it's a happy depressing like they die together they die it's a good thing they're old they die together holding hands when he says that's my sweetheart in there because they kept saying dad you're not sick you don't need his kids you don't need to be here and he's like that's my sweetheart in there and i will never leave her oh my god i'm getting teared up right now yeah, so we can't be telling this. <laughs> all right what are your best <laughs> my best and totally opposite of her like my films aren't weepy they got drama but they're more comedic than they are weepy and they are Mannequin. I like Mannequin. Uh, Picture Perfect. I love, I love Picture Perfect. The Girl Next Door. I didn't really like that movie. It's okay. Uh, as good as it gets. I love that movie. Notting Hill. I like that movie. The Holiday. I love that movie too. Can't Buy Me Love. Eh. Hitch. Eh. The Cutting Edge. Yeah, I like that. The sweetest, sweetest thing. I love the sweetest thing. Yeah, I mean, look, sweetest thing, man. It's just there's so many funny sexual encounters in that film that I just, it's hard not to laugh at and have fun with it. Remember the part where she was changing and she like had her head down like she was trying to get something off the ground and she's like oh you like that to the biker next to her. Yeah they're in the car and like and she's like, she's like I dropped my lip gloss and she's leaning down The guy thought he was like going down on the other girl so like She's like eh, like yeah. the thing. And then oh Samuel my God. Blair's character, like, her boyfriend was banging her while he was in a mascot uniform. <gasps> Remember when he had a penis ring and she was she blowing him and it got stuck? Ring. Oh, my God. The next time I'm trying to see. <laughs> yeah, they were singing, I don't want to miss Relax, don't do it. And he started getting hard. He's like, no, no, wrong song, wrong song. <laughs> and then they sing that song by Aerosmith. I don't want to miss the thing. <laughs> it's very funny and very sharp and witty. I, um... Again, I have the sweetest thing, you know, in my grate. I know for you, what makes something best means less crying. I want to be the most crying. Because <laughs> I think you can get teared up. Like, for Dirty Dancing, for me, that part at the end, when, when Baby and Johnny, like, nail the lift, I cry every single time because they could never nail the lift. And at the end, when they're doing the final dance and he nails the lift, oh, yeah. I just, there's so much about all of these movies that um, they're not, they're, it's hard to call them because they're not clearly all rom-coms. They're just, like, you know, they're rom-droms or they're some of her straight up comedies like bridesmaids is hilarious and disgusting remember the part where they all got food poisoning and they were going to the dress fitting and they were like puking and throwing up and and shitting themselves at this fancy dress place mm -hmm. those are the things that we you know if you can i don't know but now that i know what dj anubis has not seen next week for my pick of the week we're probably gonna see mean girls <laughs> which again that is literally a comedy but he made a good point is mean girls is is a lot like heathers mm -hmm. a lot like heathers without the suicide there was another one too and i, I didn't see it either it was called jawbreaker and i love jaw you've never seen jawbreaker no, it has Rose, it, Rose mcgowan in it it reminds me of fucking heathers that was the problem with a lot of these films is they all kind of remind me of that film but, like, why do i want to watch the same thing 
Because I think Jawbreak is actually closer to Heather's than Mean Girls was. It is, because the one girl, they were just kidnapping her because they were trying to um, tease her on mm -hmm. her birthday. I forgot about Jawbreaker. Shit, I like that one. That would go in, that would go in my good list. Um, but they, they kidnapped her, and they were trying to just tease her, and they put her in a trunk, but they put a Jawbreaker in her mouth instead of like a sock or something and she choked on the jawbreaker so what they did was they staged like an invasion to make it look like something happened in the house but this like nerdy girl caught them because she was she was just bringing uh over her homework because the girl was absent from school and then they're like, well, we're going to take you in and you're going to be part of our group. And they like kind of remake her over, which is a lot like Mean Girls, too. But they um, that's that was I mean, you're right. They're all kind of like others. But I, I think we're going to start with you with Mean Girls or You've Got Mail. Your choice next week. All right. All right. Back into the music. We got some stuff from Oblivion. We also have Kevin Tarrant's request for Ooh. some Tombstone Blue. Good shout out to Joe, one of the band members. But we're going to kick it off with some new stuff from Conduction. It's Losing Your Grip.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright, we are back. Talk about my pick of the week. It was a good pick, too. Yeah, at first she, like, freaked out because I popped in a DVD and, like, it started uh, advertising for the remake that was done in 2010. And she's like, I'm not watching that. Because we watched it one time in the theater because we were so hyped up for it. Oh, my God. And then we, we never watched it. I thought that shit was going to be so good. I'm we like, we had such high hopes. And sometimes I feel like that happens. Like, Well, we talked about how because of technology and CGI and everything, like you can do it the right way. And it had like a lot of big-name actors in it. And I'm like... How can you fuck that up? They did. And we're speaking, of course, of the 2010 remake of Clash of the Titans. However, we watched the 1981 original one with Harry Hamlin, Burgess Meredith, uh, Usurlis Andres, and... Uh, Ursula. Ursula Andres, excuse me, and, and is it Jimmy Balker? I, I forget, the Judy Balker, that's what her name was. Uh... And the, the uh, stop motion animation of Harry Howard Russell and man, that movie has aged so wonderfully. It's still a lot of fun. Uh, the effects are still great. Um, you know, we were talking about how they had to actually take each figure that Harry was working on and and move them, take a picture, move them, take a picture, and that is a lot of time consuming stuff. I know that's. Not the way that studios want to do things these days because you're on time constraints and, you know, you're trying to cheapen out your budget. But there's nothing that can really take away from the type of stuff that stop-motion cinematography did, did for movies back then. It's just it's very hard to replicate, even with CGI. Uh, but that's the beautiful thing about stuff like King of the Monsters where the CGI worked. The CGI was so good. Or even... Godzilla vs. Kong, uh-huh. etc. So it worked very well, especially when you were dealing with other monsters uh, that required like more movable parts, like uh, King Ghidorah, or if you try to make like a, a creature like Mothra, where you know it's an insect. It, it just it's very well done. 
but somehow, some way, seven years prior or nine years prior, Clash of the Titans remake couldn't get it done that way. They were fucking up the story mm-hmm. and fucking up the. Yeah, they started like changing things. Yep, and I, I actually have an article by Roger Ebert who did a review of the original, and he's like, Clash of the Titans is a grand and glorious romantic adventure filled with grave heroes, beautiful heroines, fearsome monsters, and aspiring duels to the death. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Now, obviously, he says a lot more than that, but, you know, he talks about how the movie itself is sort of romantic in some ways, which it is, and but... The 2010 version isn't that at all. They went with a totally different premise, and you had Zeus basically at war with Hades, his brother. And, you know, on paper that sounds fine, but, you know, it just didn't come over well. And it, you know, it just fell flat. The script was bad. The lead actor, uh, Sam Worthington, isn't really that impressive to me as an actor, at least in that role. Uh, He's okay in Avatar, but something like Clash of the Titans, you, you had to do a little better than that. You really didn't have a lot of personality. He was fighting uh, the Kraken for really no specific reason other than to save the city. It wasn't like always trying to save his woman. Yeah, the woman was like an offering. Right, just in a backdrop. In the 80s. Like, the one thing I was telling DJ Anubis, um, I took Latin for many years in school, and... I'm trying to think if it was like 92, 93, I, um, my teacher at the end of the year played Clash of the Titans for us, and, uh, he was like, I wish I had a really cool teacher like that, but if if you think about Clash of the Titans, all the stuff that's going on is, you know, the Roman mythology, which is involved in Latin, and I did not appreciate it as much on my first watch like I did not appreciate what my teacher and he was a younger dude like he he was like oh this is gonna be so much fun for the kids and we're all like whatever (laughs) you know like we just didn't appreciate how great it was so yeah so basically the premise of the 1981 version which we watched was you've got Perseus who is the love child of Zeus and a, a mortal woman and uh, I guess in some ways Zeus was trying to keep it on the down low. Uh, but the mortal woman was married to another king, and that king decided that he was going to put her to death. Not Probably not realizing it was Zeus's son. I think he just thought she was banging around with someone. Mm-hmm. And got pregnant and put the baby and the, the wife into a coffin, and they threw it out at sea. Uh, clearly just angered Zeus. That's what they used to do all the time back in the day. Just put a baby on, like, a raft and push him out to sea. (laughs) So, uh, Zeus gets angry and he sends the Kraken to destroy Argos, which is the opening scene to the movie. Uh, and he kills this king by hand. Because, like, it's this is one of the coolest things about Clash of the Titans for me, is the, the gods are up in their little heaven area. And Zeus has, like, basically, it's like a little train playset almost. He's got, like, different settings for pieces of the land. And each figurine represents a person on Earth. Now, granted, they don't have 50 million little statues standing there. But the impression was that he has access to each individual uh, on the planet Earth. And so he was able to pick up the figurine of this king and just virtually crush it in his hand, which also crushed the guy on Earth and, you know, 
killed him. Uh, but then there's also this tension between Zeus and the rest of the gods, and Thetis is one of them, uh, who already knew that he was uh, the father of this kid, uh, Perseus, who's at sea now as a young child. So she kind of uh, has her own son, uh, Calabos, who years later is to be married to uh, Andromeda. Mm -hmm. And Calabas is such an asshole that he kills Zeus's, like, most of Zeus's private uh, stable of uh, flying horses, uh, except for leaving Pegasus, which everyone knows the name of the horse. Mm -hmm. uh, he does a lot of bad things. You know, he, he really loves Andromeda, but he's just not a very good dude. And he's very jealous. Yeah, so Zeus has the final say in everything, so he's like, you know, I just can't let this dude go without punishing him. So he, instead of killing Calabas, he basically transforms him into, like, this devil-looking creature, uh, hideous, and just, you know, a drama that's not going to want anything to do with him at that point. Um, but because Thetis, you know, is trying to beg Zeus not to, to be too harsh on him or whatever... Uh, she's kind of sad that Zeus did this, but at the same time, she's using it as another way to kind of, like, stick it in Zeus's ass. Like, initially when Calabas is transformed, she helps Calabas, her son, create this curse to where Andromeda, in order to have another suitor uh, down the road, they have to solve uh, a riddle. And if they don't, they're going to be put to death. So it, it really limits the kind of guys who want to try to be their, her husband because if they don't solve it, they're going to be put to death and it's not very pretty. Uh, and of course, uh, Perseus, who's kind of living on this island with his mother, you know, he's living the high life, just chilling on beaches and fishing. and It's a great thing. Uh, Thetis is like, well, you know what? It's time you face your own adversity and, you know, challenges in life. So, uh, she moves Perseus to the lands of where Andromeda is. And from there, we just start getting introduced to other characters. Uh, Burgess Meredith plays, like, a, a playwright or, or an actor or something. Mm -hmm. And sort of befriends Perseus from the get-go. Uh, then we kind of learned that Perseus, um all of a sudden learns that he is the son of Zeus or has a connection to the gods. I don't even know if he's really told that he's Zeus's son. Not yet. But uh, he, he does know that he's the, the, the prince of Argus. He's the last remaining uh, descendant from that. Uh, so all of a sudden one morning uh, a bunch of items appear that like a sword, a shield, and a helmet. Oh yeah, and it was like really funny. It was like Ah, like it just magically and then what did he say by the gods <laughs> I was trying so hard to look on the internet to see if I can find some little small rap ditty of Burgers Meredith oh. by the gods by the gods because he said almost like 50,000 times it's probably like a drinking game how many times Meredith says by the gods uh, but no disrespect to the man He's a, he was a great legendary actor uh, but Perseus gets these items and, you know, the sword cuts through fucking marble. The shield uh, is very strong. It plays a part later in the film. The helmet uh, grants him invisibility. 
to which he takes uh, a full effect of that when moving up he goes and out to the the main city and this is where he learns about the curse and a drama and everything else and then he sees her uh, while trying to kind of like spy on her one night to figure out what the deal is with the riddle and everything. Dude, he was like that's straight like one of the creeping. Cre- that's the creepiest creeping mode. He's like, right it's there. like he's yeah. like just straight over her while she's sleeping. And I said to him, I was like, oh great, date rape. This is fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the creepier moments of the times. But this is his way of learning, like because her basically her soul gets up in the middle of the night. And is carried away by a huge vulture which belongs to Calibus. This is how she learns what the riddles are that she's going to give to whatever suitor tries to, uh, you know, get her or whatever. Uh, So then he learns, like, what the next riddle is because uh, Calibus has given it to her. Calibus still really much loves Adrovida, but she really doesn't want anything to do with him. uh, Mainly because of his cruelty and, of course, his deformation. Uh, but Calibus figures out that someone's there. He sees the footprints, that, even though he can't see the person. So a fight ensues with uh, Calibus and Perseus. It kind of skips after that to the next day where uh, Andromeda and her queen are given the riddle for the next suitor. and uh, They haven't given it yet. Uh, they're just asking if anybody wants to take on the challenge. And nobody does it first, and then Perseus walks in. And uh, he's very confident. He tells everyone who he is. And she gives the riddle. And she automatically thinks that he's no way going to get it. So the moment he says, yeah, it's a ring on the hand of Calvus, which he managed to cut off of Calvus, and he shows it to everybody. I uh, also told her that he forced him, in order to spare his life, to uh, recant his curse. And uh, that helps everybody get much happier. Uh until probably a day or two later, uh, when they're getting married, and Thetis is pissed off because <laughs> the queen has decided like she's gonna say her daughter's more beautiful than her, and that was like enough of that shit. So the head of the statue that was a uh, uh, what would you call it? Um, a dedication to her, a tribute. Oh yeah, it's in her her altar. Yeah. So. The, the 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 huge head falls off. The face comes alive, and it, it starts telling her, uh, "One bitch, you're gonna say sorry for that, <laughs> for the insult that you gave me." And the second one, is she's decided that she's more beautiful than the goddess herself. She tells uh, the the queen that your daughter's now gonna be a sacrifice for the crack, and she can't get laid. Uh, that will that will mean the whole city will just be destroyed. So she must be unknown to man. And, uh, so at this point, like, this is, that is his way of saying, you know, you're not going to get this happy, happy ending, Perseus. But Perseus is always thinking, you know, he's like, well, there's got to be a way to defeat the Kraken. And we're talking a huge-ass motherfucker, too. This dude is big. Uh, and he's the last of his kind. Uh, so, they're brainstorming, and of course, Burgess Myers' character, who I can't remember what his character name was, but... He basically says, well, there's uh, three women, Stygian witches. I know I'm kind of going through this a little... All over the place. Yeah, but I'm I'm not going to give you every detail, but they go to these witches, they get the information that in order to kill the Kraken, you have to have the only thing viable to do that is the head of Medusa, the Gorgon. Uh, 
Because she can turn shit to stone, so if you don't know the lore about Medusa, that's your own damn fault. Uh, she used to be the most beautiful, but then uh, Athena got jealous and turned her into a horrible monster. Yeah, the gods are malicious motherfuckers, man. I want to be a god. Yeah. I'm special. I'm special! So, anyway, we, we, as you follow the story, obviously the Perseus goes on a trek to find or to destroy Medusa, get the head, and go save because he knows he only has a few minute days before the gore, before the Kraken shows up, so he's got to get his shit done. Uh, along the way, of course, he runs through trial and error. He's, you know, Calbus is posing a problem for him. Uh, there is one point, which is more of the semi-comedic side to it. One of the goddesses actually owns an owl. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which Zeus, after his, after Perseus... I think that's Athena. Yeah, that's after his helmet gets lost, put the fire with Calbus in a swamp, <laughs> Zeus is like, uh, give me your friend, Bubo. It's my wish, my command. And she's like, never. Of course, she has no choice. So he's the head god. So what they do is instead of the feathers and everything, you got this guy up there in their godly heaven or whatever you want to call it. And he's basically making this armor shell uh, for the owl. So that's one of the more interesting parts of it. So, of course, when they're first introduced, uh the owl's boobo is making all these clicks and noises, which Perseus understands fine, but everyone's like, you want to understand that shit? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Perseus not good to me. Uh, so, they're all, you know, a lot of companions there. Uh, there's some deaths, obviously, uh, with the crew, and uh, at the end, of course, you pretty much figure out that Perseus is going to be the winner. Uh, but it's so good. The The... the battles with the monsters even some of just like the fairy man and everything else are just very cool like i can remember being about 11 years old when this came out i probably watched it more when i was like 12 or 13 when it was on hbo or something but it's generally creepy like the effects and everything like it's i think it was a pg movie so it wasn't like anything r or anything it might be maybe it wasn't i don't know i don't think it was r if i watched it in eighth grade yeah uh i mean there were boobies but there wasn't any cursing or anything. There was, like, boobies and butts, right. and that's yeah. really it. And it was before PG-13, so there's, uh, yeah, it's either, it was probably PG, and, which, there isn't a whole lot of bad stuff in it, but I just, I remember being so generally creepy, uh, just because of the, even the witches look kind of creepy. My eye! The eye! Give right. me the eye! So, yeah, this movie, I just, it, it still uh, holds up. Uh, Judy Bowker is a looker. She's very beautiful. Uh, great job in that role uh you could argue harry hammond maybe not the best perseus i mean he's he's not i don't know if he's really he's not really charismatic but he he does a good job in the role like he it's, it's believable uh he was a big thing back then so it kind of makes sense i guess um surprised sean connery wasn't <laughs> <laughs> but Connery I don't probably, think it was Connery. No, I said Connery probably like laughed off if he ever got offered that role at all. But um, yeah, I really, I, I really enjoy this movie a lot. It still holds up. Uh, Lawrence Olivier played the uh, character of Zeus. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we said, Maggie Smith played Thetis, who Maggie Smith, of course, Professor McGonagall in the Harry Potter series. So, I mean, there's a lot of familiar phases in this, um, even for back then. And there was one person they said was a pretty famous actress at the time. Uh, I 
can't remember her name, of course, myself, but she played one of the witches. So, like, when they were going through all the, the roles, uh, they showed her. They didn't show the other two witches, just her. So she must have been someone kind of big playing a role that no one's really used to. So that was kind of cool. So what are your thoughts about the movie even after all this time? I still love it. I mean, I really still love it. I, um, I agree with you. Like, the stop-motion claymation animation is, I mean, Medusa fucking amazing. They had, and I think part of it is they had the sound and the animation synced up so well. You had that... Mm -hmm. And everything just was so perfect. I, I'm sure I've seen this movie 20 plus times. And like I said earlier, I didn't appreciate it the way I should have appreciated it. But again, you're like, oh, it's the last few days of school. I'm watching a movie. I'm just going to do whatever I'm, you know, and back then we didn't have phones. So we either had to watch the movie or write notes to our friends to pass. So doodle, doodle. That's, that's what you got to do. I, um, I, I think this was another movie we bonded over, too, when we were just, like, chit-chatting, like, oh, yeah, Clash of the Titans is pretty badass, and you're like, it is pretty badass, oh, my God, and I'm like, yeah, so I, um, one thing I really liked about Clash of the Titans, just, everybody just kind of, like, they look at it as something cheesy, but I don't see it as something cheesy. I, everybody I've talked to, and it just might be because they are not into, like, the gods and, and goddesses the way that we are. We like the, the mythos. We like the lore. Um, I think they stayed very true to the actual stories of the gods and the goddesses, and I appreciate that because, you know... You've got Zeus and Hades, and the other, the one thing that kind of, like, so I was explaining this to Anubis, like, all the gods in the Roman and Greek mythology are exactly the same, but they just give them different names to fucking confuse you, except for Mercury. Right. So pretty much everybody has the same name, except for Mercury. Um, there's a couple of outliers, too, where you're like, oh, but if you watch this and then you say, oh, I'm going to go read, like, a Greek, you know, mythology, it's going to be very true to Greek or Roman, because literally the Romans just conquered Greece and stole, they, they were like, oh, wow, I like these gods, Let's, that's going to be ours now, we'll just change the names, like, Zeus is Jupiter, um... Hera is Juno, um, trying to think, like, but regardless, I, um, I found that everything was so, so true to form, and from my Latin learnings as a child, when you start thinking about things like this, you're like, dude, this is pretty phenomenal, and that's kind of like how I was watching it from, from day one, um, Maybe when I got a little bit older, I got a little bit more appreciation for it, but mm. it it just stays so true to the real, like, stories of the... When I say real, you know, quote-unquote real, but the the um, authentic stories of the gods and goddesses, and I could watch it 150 times, like, the whole release the Kraken thing, <laughs> the other... 
we didn't talk about this. Remember when Perseus, like, we're, they're, they're on Zeus's chessboard and Perseus is down and he, like, picks him up? Like, oh, yeah. I love that part. Like, he just picks him up because his little person is falling over. Well, yeah, the the point of that was this is after the Battle of Calvus the second time when the scorpions are there. And, mm-hmm. and Perseus is, like, really spent, like, physically. He's exhausted. He's been kind of running pretty straight to try. Because they only have, like, a couple days to get mm-hmm. this done. So he's laying, and of course, when you're up with Zeus and them, and he's looking at their figurines, they're in positions that they are sleeping or whatever. So Perseus is laying down, and after he's done talking to the goddesses, you know, like Thetis is like kind of like all bragging at this point. She's like, "It's time, you know, the cracking. It's that time, you know." Because mm-hmm. yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't think that you know, which is kind of funny about this, but it's not a big deal. Is that? She thinks that it's over. She thinks she's won, basically, because, you know, Perseus hasn't gotten there yet and all this other stuff. And at this point, Pegasus hasn't been located. He was going to kind of save him time, but because uh, initially Calvus had grabbed Pegasus and kept him locked up, they couldn't find him. So that's where Bubo comes in and helps figure that out. But yeah, when Zeus is done talking, he's walking away from the chessboard and he just picks up the figurine to where it's standing. <laughs> that is, like, my favorite part of the whole damn movie. He just, And he just does it so nonchalant. He's, yeah, he's, he's like, like, looking around. He's like... Mm, mm. <laughs> not even, like, he's, like, cheating, you know? It's he's like, like, I'm just picking him up. No big deal. He's not dead. He's cool. It's cool. It's all cool. Give We're him cool. some energy. He's We're awake. cool, right? We're all cool, right? You didn't see this, right? Right? Yeah. I... I mean... <clears throat> I'd give this easily a 9 out of 10. I mean... Surprisingly, Tomatoes, uh... The critics only gave 65, while the audience gave 70. So, what? yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, critics, I kind of understand because they are always kind of harsher on stuff. But the audience, I mean, most people in our circles, mm-hmm. nine out of ten or mm-hmm. ten out of ten. So it's kind of one of those things. I honestly like what I wish when they remade this is that they used the technology wisely. Mm-hmm. But instead, they tried to be all like, oh, we're hip, we're whatever, and I'm like... If anything, if you're listening to this, go and watch the Medusa they made in 2010 versus the one in 1981, I'm telling you. It's night and day. And... The one in 2010? It was all CGI. Yeah, and it looks fake. Yeah, it looks fake. The one in 1981, yes, we know it's stop motion. Stop, stop... Stop animation. I don't know how to fucking say it, but you know what I'm saying. Stop motion. Stop motion. Thank you. Um, but the way that they made her, she like glided. And yeah, she was jumping all around and flying and zipping around. I'm like, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they really made it like one unbelievable. Two, it was just very uninteresting and. Yeah, it just, it's not even creepy. Like, the one from 2010 was just very boring. And, you know, they, they threw in the scorpions, but the one in 2010 was more of a... They threw in a giant scorpion, which was like a riot or something. I forget what it was, but it wasn't the same feeling. It just, it never held my interest, and I just was... I, I don't ever remember watching it outside of the time we went to the movies I to see it. I just, I, in fact, I if I had the choice, I would have walked out about... 30 minutes in because it was just so yeah but bad. we were with like a bunch of people Your like mom my and mom and my my aunt, aunts and uncles and stuff and then we went to lunch and we're all like what 
pile of garbage. All of us were like, what pile of garbage did we just watch? Right. I thought it was just going to be he and I who hated it, but then my mom's like, I thought this was Clash of the Titans, not like Clash of the Humans. Like, my mom was really... Yeah, it was really bad. And you got people like Liam Neeson and Ralph Fiennes in there, and I'm just like, just how do you fuck that up? And then they made two more sequels to that one. Yeah, I've not seen any of them. Not worth it. All right, coming up, new stuff from Bong Tower, Druid mm. Lord, Abyssus, and here's brand new stuff from Necrotunes. Pile of carcasses.
Bubba with the bandy thorn. You're listening to the Hordes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it.
back with you. Neko's ordering some dinner for the evening, and we're getting ready to head out of here. Hope you all enjoyed everything. Uh, another good episode down and out for the count. Be back two weeks from now with a new episode, 154. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. And one last track frame from Hard Life Promotions. This is called That Faithful Night by Emetropia. So take care of yourselves. Be good. Peace.